Coming up next, it's Natalie Cutler-Welsh with her show, Up Your Brave. Community, connections, holistic health, and more on RCR. Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh. If you haven't met me before, I'm a speaker, author, mom of three, human design and business coach, super connector, truth seeker, and well-being warrior. It's awesome to have you joining us today, and we're going to be talking about the topic of empowering families. I've got three amazing interviews lined up for you, starting off with Ross McCook from Heart for Youth. And he'll be talking about building resilience. I'm then going to be chatting with Sue O'Callaghan on what to do when kids can't cope. And finally, we're tackling the topic, a topic that has been swept under the carpet, uh, but it's time to address it here in New Zealand and beyond. I'm talking to Gloria Masters about the power of truth and the problem of child sex trafficking. I was actually listening to an interview on Rumble yesterday with Nicholas Vienemann. I love that show. And Lewis Herms was talking, and he was talking about the same problem, child sex trafficking. And he said, I don't want to break people. I want to wake people. And that really resonated for me because I'm thinking, you know, same here, exactly the same. And same with a lot of the topics that we do. Some are more um, emotive than others, but I think it's so important that we do tackle them. So you'll be listening to my interview with Gloria. She actually said to me, thank you so much, Natalie. You're the first person in New Zealand who has been willing to interview me. She is in massive demand internationally to speak on podcasts and interviews and media and at events, but in New Zealand, no one would really go there. So here on RCR, as you know, we we are, we are have open dialogue and uncensored, and uncensored discussions, and we are honored to bring you all the topics. Um, so before we do that, let's go and hear from some of our listeners. We have a bunch of texts and emails that come in every week. 
Thank you so much, Kevin, who says, I just listened to your interview with Marie McLean. Bloody awesome. <laughs> just what I'm needing at this point in time in my life. Well, that's awesome to hear. Marie was our guest last week, and she talked about um, her book, which is the No Bullshit Guide to Getting Sober. So that was a great topic. We had lots of good feedback on that one. Um also, somebody else writing in, I loved my dance with Bruce Springsteen's Stale Tro State Trooper. Thank you, Freely. Um, that was the song that Marie recommended. It was actually dedicated to her brother who died of alcoholism. So quite a quite an emotional song for her. But obviously, um, we love it when you guys love the music that we choose. So thank you so much. Also, we're open to your suggestions for music, too. Because in my show, my guests will sometimes choose songs. I will choose songs. Sometimes our, my producer will add some songs in, but we're open to yours as well. Um, another one here is, let's have a look. Another one here says, um, Matt, oh yeah, Matthew held the people together in Wellington. His peaceful state carried us. It was powerful stuff. So last week as well, um, we had Matthew Tahuki, who was one of our guests last week with his amazing message around forgiveness and the power of love. If you guys missed those episodes, actually, my team is so incredible. They're so fast at getting the replays up. You can go to realitycheck.radio slash replays, and that will show you kind of in chronological order, all of the replays from all of our shows, not just mine. Uh, but if you want the ones from my show, you can simply go to shows and, and click on Up Your Brave and you'll find them there. So if you missed Marie's or Matthew's or Malane's, all my M's from last week, my guests, you can go and check those out. All right. I've got another one here. I'm going to put my glasses on for this one. So make sure I can read it properly. Um, first, thank you so much for all your hard work setting up an awesome platform. I love listening to the interviews and music, and I totally think this madness must be overthrown. Thanks for all this and all power to you. Um, today, I listened to Natalie. I think she was talking to the author of a book about how to um, break addiction to alcohol. I need this at the moment for my son. And I was really wanting to get the title, which I missed. Um, okay, well, let me tell you the title. We actually got back to this person. Um, but I'll, I'll tell all of you the title, which I just mentioned. You can get that book, The No BS Guide to Getting Sober. You can go to mariemclean.com. That's M-A-R-E-E, -E, McLean. M-A-C-L-E-A-N.com. And you can get her book there. You can get the ebook or you can get the hard copy book and you can give it as a gift because of course we're coming up to dry July. Um, and so that might be the thing that helps somebody else. Um, you know, interestingly, I went to last night with my husband, we went to one of our kids' schools. There was a, an event on all around cyber safety. So I wanted to do a quick shout out to Rob Cope, who ran the session two hours. The house was packed. It was, I'm pretty sure we had about 250 parents there. So great turnout for the parents who are really wanting to become aware and become aware of what is available for our kids to stumble upon or search up in social media. Um, in the world of social media, including, you know, porn and, and TikTok and all the things. It was very eye-opening. It was very funny. Lots of swear words, actually. Um, and it was super helpful. So I think it was a great, quote unquote, reality check for tons of parents. And so, yeah, I definitely recommend him if you want to get him to come to your school. I think he's very busy, as you can understand. But it's definitely a session that's worth happening, um, worth, worth having for your school and make it available. They also talked last night about, you know, bullying and online bullying and things that some kids ask other kids to do, in, including sending photos. Um, but 
you know, it's really eye-opening, but I wanted to, you know, just express that the bullying thing online is not just kids. And um, some people know I wasn't super vocal about it, but I did experience a little bit more bullying. I've had it happen before um, last week from some of the local moms in my local neighborhood who didn't like the fact that I was encouraging parents to be proactive and find out what they're teaching their kids in sex ed class. They took what I was saying out of context and called me anti this and anti that. And I just want to do a shout out to anyone who has the, who has had the courage to up their brave and speak their truth or encourage people to dig a little deeper or look at the other side of things um, and has received pushback or bullying. It's not easy. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. I hope you're having an amazing Friday. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. You're listening to Natalie Cutler-Welsh here on Reality Check Radio. And this week, we're diving into the topic of empowering families. And next, I'm talking to Ross McCook, and we're going to be looking at the topic of building resilience. Welcome, Ross. Hello, Natalie. How are you? I am so good. And it's so good to have you here. Uh, Ross actually was a guest in my Thriving Teens and Tweens series that I did many, many years ago. And I'm so thrilled to have you back, Ross. For those of you that don't know him, Ross is the founding director of Heart for Youth, established back in 2012. It's a non-for-profit NGO, a youth mentoring and support organization for high needs, vulnerable youth based in Auckland. It's an it's and it's excuse me it's an extension of Ross's previous years of experience 20 years voluntarily working with young people from all ethnicities and all walks of life. Ross is also the lead trainer and facilitator for the New Zealand Youth Mentoring Network delivering mentoring training and organizational support throughout New Zealand with outstanding results and testimonials as well as a national youth conference leader. His latest work includes a key role in the development of the nationwide government initiated I'm going to get you to say it for me. Pitikitoa or Mana and Mahi or Fokarongaro. There we have it. Mana and Mahi yeah. virtual mentoring support program for apprentices. And he's currently the principal trainer and coordinator for the program. Ross, it is so, so good to have you here. Oh, so good to be here. Thanks for having me, Natalie. So today we're going to talk about resilience. But before we do that, I would love it if you could let our guests know a little bit more about you. If you could tell us a bit about your backstory and what got you to this point. Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll, quite, I'll try and keep it uh, pretty, pretty short. So, um, yeah. So it, it's it's kind of a it's a bittersweet story, I guess. And um, we'll start with a bitter. Um, so yeah, I I kind of had a little bit of a challenging upbringing. Um, cannabis was a big deal for me, literally. Uh, smoked my first joint age uh, 10 by the time I was um, 17, had a full-blown cannabis addiction whereby sitting through Christmas family dinner without being stoned would have been a complete fail. Um, and that was, you know, that was my normal at the time. Uh, that was my environment. I didn't think it was a, a big problem, but clearly it was. And a long story short, um, Tragically, someone lost their life, another young person in a, in a car accident. And um, yeah, I, I blame myself for my inaction due to my cannabis addiction. Um, so I kind of carried the, um, the, it was kind of a convoluted thought pattern for myself. It wasn't completely true, but um, for two years, I carried the, the guilt of uh, another young person leaving their life, which losing their life, which was a pretty big burden to, to carry. I would have loved a adult to have sat there and thought about my 
part in all of that and actually asked me how I was doing. Um, that, that didn't happen, no criticism of, of the adults in my world. But um, so fast forward a bit, um, my older brother um, and a, a local guy, church guy, um, I don't know if they consciously thought, let's mentor this young man, uh, but that's what they did. And so um, it just created um, an off-ramp, I guess, to to um, find some other options for what I was doing. And uh, one of them offered me an apprenticeship. Um, by the age of 23, I ended up um, – uh, so so that really transformed thing. Faith is another big part of my journey. Um, but age 23, I started my own company, had a really successful business for nearly 20 years. Within that time, I would look out for little Rossies <laughs> and, and, uh, in the community, and um, I'd try and bring these kids into my business and upskill them and that. And then a friend of mine had what we called back in the day a SIFS home, a child, youth and family home, now Ramatamariki. And so I started helping him doing respite care with some of his boys. Um, one day everything changed. I'd taken a few of them out ski biscuiting, um, having a lot of fun and had a big barbecue and all that. And one of the boys came up to me and I thought he was joking when he said it. And he said, Ross, this has been the best day of my life. Uh, so that boy was um, 14 at the time. He went into care when he was 10, and he had been in 10 different foster homes within that time. So I started to connect with these boys, um, and I found out their backstories, which were horrendous and heartbreaking. Um, and yeah, they got me. They caught me. <laughs> uh, and so I let I let go of my let go of my business and started not for profit. Um, from there, we, we became foster parents ourselves to um, child youth and family. Uh, we ended up fostering uh, a boy who's now 30. We had him since he was 15. Um, so, yeah, so we, uh, like, I, ju- I just got so much out of doing that. Um, I thought, you know, that would make a great day job. So, as I say, let go of our business. Uh, and then I just thought, this is so incredible. I really want to um, empower other a- adults to experience what we experience by helping young people. So we we sort of, I see ourselves as like a kind of a bridging brokering organisation. So we're saying to young people, you know what, adults actually do care about you and would like to connect with you. And the same, um, we're saying to adults, you know what, young people actually would love to make a connection. And I think what the, the challenges for a lot of adults is they see these kids in the community um, and, and some of them can be a little bit angry about what we see with young people. But, there's, I, I, you know, I know there's a lot that are really compassionate. They'd like to help, but they don't know how to. And so we're like this kind of bridging, brokering organisation, just just joining them together, really. And once we do that, it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, started doing that in 2012, just celebrated 10 years. Um, we've had some kids in our program for eight years. Um, and we just say to our kids, if you stick around long enough, we'll turn you into a mentor as well. So we've done that a few times. Uh, and then around about six years ago, long story, I ended up being the lead trainer for the New Zealand Youth Mentoring Network. Um, so, yeah, I'm sold out to this. This is uh, this is what I love. This is absolutely my dream job. Um, and so, yeah, here we are. I've got a, a little side hustle. We've got a little motel down in Fitianga. So um, that's that's kind of my little respite care, dealing with people that um, don't don't have challenges. They're just here for a holiday. So although that's not going too well at the moment, thanks to the cyclone. But yeah, so yeah, that's me in a big nutshell. 
It's so fascinating how, you know, life takes a path. Like you were on that path with the Mm -hmm. cannabis and then it just takes one or two people to intervene or really to create an opportunity for you and take you under their wing. And I love how that's become your path and your legacy. Mm, For sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. It's like you just somebody to, for someone to take a scenario that might you know, start out bad and then end up good. I just reminded me of the story of, um, you know, my son and a few of his friends who were skateboarding at the local church. And um, then they were told not to skateboard on the tiles. And then they did. And they broke the tile. Um, and then they hit it and they ran away. And then uh, when when uh, we when we found out about it, we my husband went up with the with the four boys and, and they they apologized and and everything. And she said, you know, I, what I love here is the way that they responded. This is our local church. They said, well, we, you boys can come and clean the windows, you know, on a Sunday and you come and help clean the windows. So they went and did that. They got the tile fixed. And then they said to the boys, if you want to skateboard, why don't you skateboard around the corner here where it's paved, not the tiles. And if you want to make some skate ramps, you can lock them up here with a chain in a, in a combination and come and skate here anytime. Cool. And I thought, how cool is that? That they got in trouble for doing something that was, you know, they were off the technology. They were skateboarding camaraderie, <laughs> fitness, fresh air. It could yeah. have gone so bad, but the way that the, the, the lady at the church handled it, it, she created this opportunity for them. And I think that's amazing. Mm. It just takes one person to make a yeah. difference. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I love that. Um, in fact, one of the a little aspect that I, tr- I deliver with the youth mentoring training is a little uh, snippet called Discipline with Dignity. And so that's really about um, the times that do come where we've got to, you know, the boundaries have been crossed and we actually have to respond. But it's about doing that in a way that keeps their their mana and their wairua, their spirit intact. And so I, I grew up... Um, I often say to people, I'm uh, I'm a boomer, so um, which fundamentally means I can offend everyone in the room and have no idea that I've done it. So <laughs> hopefully, so that's just my disclaimer here today, Natalie. Um, but I, I grew up, you know, in a generation where discipline was about grinding you into the dirt and and just almost breaking your spirit. And so many of us actually were, um, you know, the, the the collateral damage of that. Um, so yeah, so I love that. That's a beautiful example of. Um, you know, bringing about some discipline, but in a, um, you know, preserving that dignity with a positive outcome. So yeah, love that. I know. So good. Um, I love that phrase, discipline with dignity. Mm. I'd love to talk to you. So we're going to talk about resilience today, which is definitely a buzzword and specifically very relevant because in the past three years, probably more than ever before, a lot of people have had to really call on their own resilience. Um, I believe everyone has resilience within them. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not something they necessarily learn. I believe it's something they call on, meaning they, they have it within them, but they might not be tapping into it. What do you, what have you seen in the last three years specifically or ha- around the resilience piece? Um, yeah, well, I think we're on the same page straight away, Natalie. I, I didn't know that that's what you, you thought about resilience, but I totally agree with you. So, so I think, um, you know, often in my training, um, I'll, I'll, uh, in fact, I have a, a little fun thing I do with a with a bunch of uh, you know people that I'm trained. I'll get them set up on a table and I'll ask them to write down a, a dictionary definition of resilience. Right, so the words never been um, written in a dictionary before come up with it, and it's quite interesting what they kind of stand and deliver. Um, but quite often um, we 
we connect, um, not completely wrongly, but we connect resilience with perseverance, right? So often, if, if we think about someone being resilient, we think about someone that perseveres. But the challenge with that is, is we all know someone, especially in our country, that's been that hard as concrete person, you know, the, the, the one that just goes and goes and goes and goes. And then sadly, what happens is they go down and they don't come come back again. And they don't come back up again. And so, and often, you know, we're, we're so stunned and, you know, talking specifically about those that, you know, might get to the point where they actually end their lives. And and so often we hear, and, and people are just so, so stunned. They can't believe that that particular person, because they were always the one that went and went. And so, so whereas resilience, um, you know, there is certainly an element of perseverance, but for us, we really teach that resilience is um, not about if you might fall over, it's when you fall over and and how do we get back up. So for us, is very much resilience is about bounce back ability. And um, I often say to parents, um, male, uh, sorry, um, role model failure well. And, and so that's not something you might hear specifically in a parenting course. And what do I mean by that? So, so just accept the fact that kids are going to see you fail, right? And so instead of trying to be a perfect parent, acknowledge our humanness, our frailty, and model to them what that looks like as they get back up. And I can't tell you the amount of kids I know who have witnessed their parents go through um in and out of the prison system, through uh, family harm, through drug addiction, and those kids are, are proud of the fact that their parents have come through that. And even though you know it looked like a big face plant, they you know they bounce back. So, um, so that's the first thing I would say um, uh, about resilience. So, so the challenges obviously for young people. Um, almost in a heartbeat, you know. Once, once upon a time, a, a generation was was a good couple of decades. Now it seems to be about five years. Uh, things just seem to be changing so quickly, um, and so. You know, often I think we hear adults, you know, quoting back in my day. <laughs> well, the, well, the challenge is, is we're not in your day. Um, the chances are, if the kids of today were in your day, they'd be the same as as you. And if you were in their day, you'd be faced with the same challenges that they're faced with. And I don't know how you would go. So, um, so there are a lot of new challenges coming thick and fast. So. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's something really, really important that um, any adult, any parent needs to be thinking about how can I create, you know, um, not a perfect young person, but a perfect, uh, a young person that understands that failure is normal, uh, that hitting your face, going down is, is normal and it's okay. But how can we get you back up? So um, I'm not sure what your question was, but <laughs> it was a wrap. It was you're spot on. Yeah. You're spot on. Yeah. We went to yeah. a careers night um, last week at my daughter's school. My husband and I and my daughter went along, and all the collegiates came back. You know, and they had these. You know, you'd go to the room and you'd hear about law, or you'd hear about medicine, or you'd hear about business. And the consistent message from all of them was around, yeah, like you want to get good grades, but you need to be resilient and you need to be able to work with people and be adaptable. And I thought that is, I loved, I loved that our youth were hearing that message come through loud and clear because of course, yeah, the marks are important, but 
being resilient, which doesn't necessarily mean like soldier on at all costs. Sometimes you do have to stop, you know, as I'd sometimes say, I sometimes use these outdoor analogies because I'm back in the day, I was an outdoor (laughs) instructor and I'd say like, you know, I was a kayaker, right? And I'd say, pull into the eddy, you know, have a little snack, have a little break. And then when you're ready and you've, you know, maybe have some water to hydrate, then get back into the flow and and paddle down the river. And and the, the analogy is really around you know, we don't just have to soldier on. Sometimes we have to stop, acknowledge how we feel, do something to make ourselves, you know, release the anger or feel better and then move on. And do you think the kids these days have those skills? What are you seeing? Because they've got different pressures um, on them. Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> no. Uh, well, certainly probably not to the degree that that we probably did have. Um, and so, I mean, obviously... I think one of the one of the big challenges, and often I'll say to parents, um, and it's I haven't quite uh, packed this down completely, but what I try and say to parents around um, just keeping their their mental health and their wider or their spirit um, at a good place is try and shrink their worlds, right? Try and shrink their worlds. So, what do I mean by that? So. Um, there's, there's great intentions with our education system um, in expanding the universe, the world of, of young people. And I think what's really important to, to just get a message through to young people is that you don't have to stand up for every cause, right? And so we think that somehow or other we're empowering our young people by um, – you know, let, letting them know what, you know, the, the, the latest kind of causes. And so it's, um, you know, there's almost this pressure to just be, you know, re, retweeting the, um, you know, whether it's environment, whether it's, um, you know, stuff around race, um, you know, again, climate, um, equal rights, um, LGBTQ, all those sorts of things. And so I think there's this pressure on young people that they, they sort of almost have to be, you know, flying this flag or that flag or whatever. And and they just they just don't, <laughs> you know. And so sometimes it's worth um in fact I had a parent, I did a, a, a radio um interview a few years ago, um, and a friend of mine was hosting it, and we we're talking about this very subject of, of resilience. And her 16-year-old son came home. And he said to her, and he was he was very solemn and serious about it. He said, he said, Mum, he said, the lungs of the world are burning. Profound statement. And if you're not sure what he was talking about, he was talking about the Amazon jungle fires, which are probably still burning. And and so, you know, when mum's faced with, you know, what do you what do you say to that? A kid comes home, it, like, wow. The lungs of the world are burning. Like what a what a statement from a sixteen year old, and and of course she's not able to say, "Well, it'll be all right, honey." You know, like they'll they'll bring in those big American planes that drop. Like it's not going to happen, you know. So so that's daunting. And so sometimes with all that cause stuff, um, the way that we can help 
sort of counter those almost um, disabling things that come our way is is to make maybe as a family jump in on that. It's like, well, how can we how can we do something environmental? And it's like, um, well, hey, you know, let's join an organisation. Let's get out, plant some trees. You know what I mean? Let's do that together. Or, or if we're just overwhelmed with with poverty, world poverty, hey, why don't as a family, why don't we sponsor a kid uh, in India or, or Africa, right? And so let's jump on TF under world vision find a kid let's let's do that so 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 rather than just being overwhelmed by all these causes um you know narrow them down and collectively as a family say hey let, you know maybe we could do something should we be regular contributors to the food bank or whatever it might be so but but yeah sometimes it's a matter of shrinking their worlds i, I remember you know again being a boomer i i grew up literally when the vietnam war was happening and i remember six o'clock news you know my dad would go he'd pop it poke his head out from behind the newspaper because he just read it cover to cover, <laughs> six o'clock news, everyone had to be quiet. And it was literally the Vietnam War was on TV. I think it was probably black and white, which is probably a good thing. And my dad would try and get me to sit in the room because you need to know the stuff. I'm like, I why would I want to watch that? Like I'm seven or whatever I was. And, and so I was able to remove myself from that. Kids are not able to remove themselves. And as I say, you know, the education, the teachers think they're doing them a great service mm -hmm. by expanding their knowledge of the world. Well, the world's frightening right now, you know. So somehow think about that. How can I shrink it down a bit? Totally agree. And I love that phrase. It makes total sense. I mean, I said to my husband the other day, I just want our kids to be able to be kids. You know, I don't want them to know all the stuff that I know yep. at all yep. um, about the world. I, you know, I, and it is. And I feel like another phrase we use in parenting, of course, is, you know, pick your battles in terms of what are the things that you're going to discipline and all your kids on. But, yep. but that's different. But the, pick your causes really is what you were saying. It's like you don't yep. have to go for everything and be support every cause that comes along. It's exhausting. And yep. in terms of it's, it's, it's going to create a lot of anxiety. And I know that's something that you're quite concerned about is, which all of us are, have you seen, you know, a rise in anxiety and what are the drivers of anxiety other than these concerns about the world and all the issues? What else is creating that sense of anxiety for our kids? Yeah, sure. So I remember um, something I was reading, I'm, I'm, I love to hoover up information that relate to young people. Uh, and I read an article a few years ago, and I think it was around 2011, 2012, where um, the majority of American kids, the tipping point where over 50% of them had an iPhone, right? So the smartphone came through. There was a study that was done, and they went back literally as far as they could with humanity, and they tried to evaluate young people's responses to worldwide calamity, right? And so as, as best they could, they interviewed people that had been in the someone's still alive from the First World War. I think my granddad was there, you know, Second World War, Vietnam, all the rest of it. And and so they they queried them, questioned them, and all the rest of it, and tried to get some sort of a um, a graph, if you like, of of the enormity of the anxiety that those young people experience, whatever it might have been. 
what they found was absolutely exponentially from the time that those smartphones started landing in the hands of kids, that anxiety just took off like never before in history. And it was really, it was astounding and it was frightening and and it still is. And so a lot of that is... Um, you know, just that that whole social media thing, which we which we which we know and we get, and we hear lots about it. There's no silver bullet to that, but it's that trying to stay up, trying to keep up. Um, you know, again, back in back in our day, uh, the bullying thing. Right, you, the bullying it ended at the letterbox. Right, you'd hurl a couple of stones at each other and drop a few whatever be hope mum didn't hear it, and and you'd you'd walk inside and you'd shut the front door, and you'd drop your and sanctuary the the bullying stops but it doesn't stop now it keeps going it goes it goes through the night it goes through the small hours they wake up and it's it's there so so this is really difficult stuff um to navigate and uh, again couple all of that with what's happening you know in our world so yeah we've got we've got some challenges going on there it's interesting you mentioned the bullying thing it's very um very relevant for me at the moment. I actually have been on the receiving end. Once again, it did happen about a year and a half ago um, as a result of some of my interviews that I did around um, encouraging parents to look at what they're teaching kids in sex ed class specifically. And I didn't get any negative response publicly, but within my local mom's group, they went bananas. They went bananas at me and they made it personal and it was, they didn't even stick to the issues. We, so, and, and I guess the key there for me is I agree with you, you know, the, because they're doing it online and we've heard this term keyboard warriors where people that would never, if they saw you in the grocery store, they would, they would ignore you. Probably they wouldn't say mm-hmm. something, but online, they just seem to, there's this different energy. And there, and yeah. then what happens is a little bit of a pack mentality. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is, which is sad, isn't it? When it's happening you know, amongst adults. So, uh, yeah, once again, <laughs> we've got some challenges and I'm really sorry that that happened to you, Natalie. So, uh, I, you know, like again, um, I'm so sorry, but uh, did you, where'd you grow up, Natalie? I grew up in Canada, Toronto. Canada, there we go. So I always ask that question now because um, mixing up Canadians and Americans like mixing up Australians and New Zealanders, you just don't want to do it. So uh, so I don't know if this was a thing in Canada, but uh, so we had a, a phrase as, as, as kids, sticks and t- stones may break my bones, but names will, did they have that? Never hurt me. Never hurt, never hurt me. Yeah. So, so we, and we'd literally yell this at kids, right? A kid's giving you a serve, a verbal, yeah. and we would literally retort with sticks and stones will break my bones, mm-hmm. but names will never hurt me. And, and of course, we, we know that names do hurt us, but there needs to be a little bit of a middle ground where, um, and, and see, once again, this is the thing we're, we're asking kids to be so open and so sensitive and so embracing. We're, we're, we're absorbing all of the stuff. We don't know how to stop or block anything out. So, um, whilst I want to really listen to you and care about what you're saying, you know, if we can't filter that, it's going to have a huge impact. And we, I think, you know, sometimes we do need to, Say a little bit. Sometimes those kids, you know, it's it's just words, you know. And and I, I'll probably cop it, but maybe I'll get a bit of that online bullying as well, Natalie. But but to some degree, and so so this is where building a strong inner voice within us is so important because that's the thing that's going to 
um, that's going to be the filter. That's going to be the block whereby children or young people aren't going to take that stuff on, right? And because they're confident on the inside. So the, the inner voice says, excuse me, I absolutely know who I am and I'm not one of those. Thank you very much. So, um, yeah, so, so these are, these are things that need to be talked about and, and, and balanced, but yeah, challenging for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the, um, the lesson for myself there, of course, one of them, always many lessons to learn is, um, for me to discuss it with my kids, you know, to say, actually I'm 40, I'm turning 50 this year. But when I was 47 was the first time I've ever been bullied. I went 47 years with never being bullied. And the first people to bully me are moms in their forties. Who would have thought, but to be able to share that with my kids, you know, and, and not, uh, and just share the lessons and be like, I actually didn't say anything that I regret saying or feel bad about. And I'm really owning that. I feel like I was probably overly diplomatic. Um, but also my, and my, my oldest, you know, she says to me, mom, why do you post about that stuff? when you know, it's just going to bother them. I said, sweetheart, because I'm here to shine the light on and raise conversations. And it's not just about posting about lost dogs and selling uniforms in my group. You know, it's a parenting group. These are things parents need to know about, but she's like, mom, why do you want it? Why do you still post about it? I said, well, some, you know, I feel, I feel strongly about it. Mm. Um, but you know, just and, and it it brings up some dialogue with them. And bullying, yep. of course, is not just something that happens to kids; it happens to parents as well. Mm. Um, and there's always something we we can learn from that. Sure, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going pretty vocal on my um, my thoughts around legalizing cannabis. Um, and yeah, I, I really knew I wasn't a fan. Um, in fact, I got so passionate about it, I made a video which got three and a half thousand uh, looks. But I was just putting it out there. I was putting out my perspective. But some people were were just like, yeah, just unbelievable, you know. So, um, but yeah, and I think again, kids will look at that and go, wow, go my mum. Yeah, but again, <laughs> they'll, it comes they'll back- be quietly telling their <laughs> friends, you know, you know, my mum. Wow. Well, maybe not yet. Maybe in a few years they will. But I think it comes back to what we were discussing around picking your battles. You know, you did this video about cannabis because it's close to home. You feel really strongly about it. I'm not going to go posting about everything left, right and center, but things that I feel strongly about. And of course, it's all in the way you word things as well. Um, So I think it's the same thing. It's like pick and choose the thing, your passion, you know, messages for the world. And um and also just to be aware of yeah how we treat each other but people are very triggered and um mm. and and often they're coming I look at someone and I might go well they're coming from a place of fear so I I kind yeah. of get them give them some grace very good yeah 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 for sure yeah um for those listening we actually did a show last week which was all around self discovery I interviewed Marie McLean and we talked about her her book, The No BS Guide to Getting Sober. So I know on this call, we talked about you know um, marijuana and cannabis. So if anyone, um, if that's relevant to anyone, you definitely want to go and check out that replay um, because I think everyone has something in their life, you know, it's something that um, will set them on a path and maybe they want to go on a different path. And uh, so, yeah, if that's helpful, you guys, you can check out the replays, realitycheck.radio slash replays. Um, okay, Ross. So I'd love to ask you if you have any other practical activities that you do with the people you work with, or exercises that you have them do. I don't mean physical fitness, but like activities or exercises yep. that you can share with my audience today. Is there anything we can do, maybe with our kids at home, or something around you know helping kids to be either more confident or more resilient or less anxious? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So. One of the things 
when when I'm training for Heart Youth and and the New Zealand Youth Mentoring Network, so we talk about resilience. So so a couple of practical ways that you can actually build resilience is what we call focusing on what we call internal resilience builders um, and external resilience builders. And so I model this basically with a with a rubber ball or a football or something to that effect and that thought again about um, bouncing back. And so when when we talk about internal resilience builders, um, and so one of the challenges is um, um, you know, someone once said, you know, if we, we're, we're human beings, but most of the time we, we're focused on human doing. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I grew up uh, my entire, most of my life with undiagnosed ADHD. I couldn't concentrate in school. I tried my best. Um, I failed. And I came out with that inner critic that basically said, Ross, you're dumb and everyone else is smarter than you. And it, it took me literally decades to, to kind of uh, work through all of that stuff. Um, and so, so often society is, is based on, um, you know, so... Um, occasionally you might get a, a, a you know the the good player of the day award for for being a good sport but most of the time it was how you played on the field how you performed right and and so there's so much of a um, emphasis on outcomes right how how you're doing and and so that just sends a message if if I'm not constantly delivering a positive outcome for mum or dad or school or whatever um, then I'm not going to get some good feedback. And so what I challenge parents to do is, and, and you spoke about it as well, that resi- a lot of that resilience is within 100%. So within all of us as human beings, we find these kind of innate built-in qualities um, and they're things that we wouldn't specifically maybe use in a conversation. So some kids, you'll see them, we've just got a great sense of humour. They've got a passion for learning. Um, they're, they're relational um, by default, they're optimistic. Um, and so we find these, these qualities within them, right? And, and these are the things that get us through life. But we don't think about them. We don't verbalize them. We don't, you know, tattoo them on our bodies. Well, some people, maybe they do. And, and so, for example, um, as, as, so as adults, our challenge is to see those qualities within that young person, name them, and then frame them. Right. And so what I mean by that, and it, and it's like, wow, you know, so your 10 year old Natalie, I don't know, we're, we're sort of, we were going to the school camp, got cancelled because of the weather and all kids are cooking. I'm like, wow, Natalie, you're so optimistic. Right. And so you're looking at me like, I didn't know what you're talking about. Um, and, and so like, wow, you're optimistic. So, so then what I'd do is I'd give you an example of where I saw you practicing optimism. So Natalie, all the other kids were so disappointed about, you know, the, the, the camp getting, um, cancelled because of the weather, but I just love the way you're optimistic. You know, you you let them know that we're going to go next week, and you just and Nelly, you're a half, uh, you're a glass half girl, full. Sorry, you're a glass half full kind of a person, right? And and so so Nelly goes away going, wow, I'm optimistic. Uh, I didn't know that, but Ross said I was, and he's pretty cool, right? And and so what we're doing is we're we're finding these qualities within these young people and naming them, and then letting them know how awesome they are. And it sort of sits alongside 
um, what we talk we call emotional literacy, right? So emotional literacy is being able to actually name the emotions that we're feeling, right? So that's a good thing to go through with kids. Um, but those res- those inbuilt resilience builders, and I guarantee if you think about your life, the challenges that you've been through, there'll be three, four, five things that um, that really stood out for you. Um, in fact, I had uh, I had a, a, an amazing young wahine, uh, a year thirteen student, right up in Kaitai. I was doing some um, some some work there a few years ago with some young youth leaders. She said something to me quite profound. She said, "Ross, she said I hate it when adults tell me I'm awesome," and that kind of threw me a bit. I thought, "Hmm, interesting." I was like, "Go on," and and she says, "Well, she said I find it really cliche." She said. When an adult tells me I'm awesome, I want to know why they think I'm awesome, right? And I just thought, wow, that's that's so good. So, so it's more of a focus on not so how, you know much how, what what you're doing, but who you are really. And so, you're, wow, you're so kind. And give them an example. Wow, you're so empathetic. Give them an example. Mm. Wow, I love that ability to bounce back. You know, uh, and so I'd I'd just love to. You know, to, to see a coach get a kid that come off the, the football field, the soccer field, and tell I, I love the strategy, the strategy you had there to get the ball from the back to the front. Right, you're a great strategist. You know, I, I bet there's not many football coaches that told a kid you're a great strategist. You know, that'll take you places. So, so these are what we call internal resilience builders. Right, so so name them, frame them, internal, external. We call it wraparound. Right. Um, let's think about a trampoline. The modern ones, the new ones that come out, right? They've got the they've got the netting that goes right around the edges, right? Now I, I was, I'm a boomer. I looked at those when they first came out, and I thought soft kids, right? But it makes sense considering um, one Christmas for my my wife, their, their family, they were kids got a trampoline. There was no room on the grass because the family's cars were parked there, so they set it up on the concrete driveway. Uh, well, my my poor wife spent Christmas Day. Uh, uh, I shouldn't laugh. North Shore. Shore Hospital. I, I don't need to tell you what happened there. Um, and so, if you can imagine that kind of wraparound uh, thing, where where you've got those supports in place, and so parents need to be really deliberate. So, so what is other than you? And you can't support your kids ultimately. What what could you put in place that creates some wraparound? Right, some really cool family members that need to spend more time at your house. Right, some of those positive kids, whether it's sports, whether it's a cause um what we call just simply pro-social bonding connecting them with good people right and so 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 kids are never going to share everything with you as as awesome as you are um what other adults are good safe people you know it could be a, a relative an uncle whoever who are some of those other people like what are those things you know the the sport or whatever without killing your kids on the sport thing that's another issue altogether isn't it you know some some kids are just burnt out because they're, they're, they've got their hands up for so many things and kid, you know, parents running the ragged running around to you know 10 different things in a week but I don't mean that that sort of support but you know so that exterior stuff so stop and ponder what are some of those external things that are helping my kids what's going on in the inside focus on those things um and it's going to help it's not a silver bullet great I love that phrase name it and frame it in in the speaking world you know we talk about um name it and claim it 
when people are, oh, are experts yeah. in their specific area. But no, I like it. La- name it and frame it. And I do love rhymes because that yeah. reminds us to frame it. Like, what's the context? Just don't tell yes. me I'm I'm awesome. That's quite generic. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean yeah. awesome? Like specifically yeah. how? I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. so great. That's so great. And and, and, and some so, of the, sorry, just and just one other thing. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Just you know, no one, no one left a, a job, a, a, a church, a, a team. No one ever left anywhere from being over encouraged, right? You know, like you, you never, you never had an employee come in for their boss and I quit. I'm so sick of being over encouraged. Every time I walk, every morning, you know, Natalie just tells me how awesome is someone else saying, well, I did a great job. No, no one ever quits from being over encouraged, right? So, and and Kiwis, like you'll get this from Canada, like we are the masters of the tall poppy syndrome, right? In fact, I had a Canadian youth worker once we were talking to me. She said, Ras, absolutely, that is such a thing, right? I, I just don't understand that Kiwi mentality, but encourage, encourage, encourage. Um, in fact, um, you know, our four core values, Heart for Youth, are accept, connect, equip, and encourage. If I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to take courage and put it in you. So so be that encourager, you know. I mean, it is good to tell them they're awesome, but give them some reasons why as well, but still tell them they're awesome. Yeah, so good. Well, there you go. I'm going to ask you the four questions that I ask everybody, speaking of courage. What is yep. one thing that you've done in the past year where you truly upped your brave? <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, well, this is a little bit left field. Um, so um, being in my late 50s, uh, I actually finally got around to getting a formal ADHD diagnosis um, that I've suspected for a long, long time, and then I've known for a long time. Uh, but I thought, well, I've done a few things and gotten this far, so it can't be too bad. So yeah, I went in. I went. I got an ADHD diagnosis. Um, I absolutely broke the machine, um, and uh, there was there was um, I cried. There was uh, sadness. There was euphoria. Uh, there's things I finally understood. So I've actually been unpacking that for for some time, the, you know, not that long. Um, and it's really, really helping me seeing the challenge with ADHD. And of course, I've, I've worked a lot with ADHD kids. And so, um, yeah, so that that's something um, that's, yeah, has, has been a bit of a, in fact, I, I shared someone, funny you should say, I shared that with someone last week and they said to me how brave and I didn't think that was a brave thing but um yeah so that's been huge for me and that's a a new journey for an old dog (laughs) yeah well that's exactly it that's you named it and you claimed it Mm, yeah yeah and I know someone else who did that as well in in her late 40s uh, Mm. and she said it was kind of a relief just to have some self-understanding and that's what it's about you know self-discovery understanding yourself and how you show up in the world interestingly Mm. You know, before we went, we, before we recorded, we were talking about my friend Victoria, who's a photographer, yep. and she actually works with. She has ADHD. She works with um, wow. kids um, who also have ADHD and other photographers who have ADHD to run a photography business. How cool is that? Wow, amazing! Yeah. <laughs> so I'll yeah, definitely yeah, connect yeah. you. That's very yeah, cool. Sure. Um, That's so on your, what is on your bucket list? What do you, what is one thing that you would like to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you to achieve? Um. Yeah, that's a great question. I've I've done a few things. I've been a few places. So it's not places and things. Um, I'm, you know, long ago, 
stop pursuing big things, cars, houses, whatever. Um, yeah, I just think Natalie simply so so back to the ADHD. So ADHD people got a, amazing superpowers, and I've, I found out a lot of them become NGOs. They become um, they become warriors in certain fields. Um, they've got a high sense of um, uh, fighting injustice, and they're high, what I call hyper empathetic. So I have a degree of empathy that cripples me. Mm. Um, and so when I think and I see what's happening to young people, um, it, it takes me out completely. So I don't, my bucket list is it's it's just uh, it's an ongoing kick, I guess. <laughs> do we kick? Do we kick? Do we check the bucket? Where, where well, hopefully the bucket we don't kick. The, we're trying to do no, new things no, before no. we kick the we, bucket. We were a bucket list. I was like, do we check it off before we kick the bucket? I don't <laughs> know. But but so so mine. If it was, it's an ongoing um, kick. And and for me, it's just. I know it sounds a bit cliche, but just 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 fighting for 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 young people and um, really now imparting what I've what I've learned. Um, and and I didn't see myself as being a, a trainer or someone that would empower um, other adults. I just started telling my story and sharing some of my experiences. Um, and being ADHD, we hoover up lots of small pieces of information, lightning quick. Um, and so I am very passionate about learning things. I have learned a lot, and and it makes sense. It connects. Um, so so my thing now, I mentor. I've never stopped mentoring. I, I mentor three awesome boys. Uh, 12-year-old boy, been with him for three years. Um, my awesome, he's now my friend Connor, just turned 21, been with him six years, another boy, 16, eight years. So I'm never going to stop mentoring. I love that. But my thing is really about trying to empower um, parents, um, adults, um, police officers, social workers, um, counsellors, anyone that work with young people um, and just more around that practical, that practical stuff, um, you know, rather than the theory. I don't, I don't have formal qualifications in youth work, but um, I've got a lot of lived experience. So, that, so that's my absolute passion, Natalie, with, without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. And you've done such an amazing job with that. And I know that um, you're going to keep doing it because I can just see that. I know you guys can't see Ross, but I can see the joy on his face when he's talking <laughs> about it. Yeah. What is coming up for you in the next six months and how can people can connect with you online? Yeah, so we're certainly going to be carrying on doing what we're doing, um, finding volunteer mentors to match them with young people. As I say, I've been doing that in Tamaki Makaurau for for over ten years. We we haven't expanded our little area in in, in Auckland basically because I don't want to be looking after, um, you know, workers. <laughs> I've done enough of that, so we're, so we're kind of a little boutique there. But but really, for me, it's about empowering other organisations. So I'm able to do that through the New Zealand Youth Mentoring Network and through Heart for Youth. And so, um, yeah, I just want to get in front of people, um, share some of those practical tips and how to build positive self-esteem, help them with communication, conflict resolution, all those sort of things. Um, yeah, and so um, we're just going to be keeping delivering in our trainings uh, across the Motu, across New Zealand. And so, um, yeah, we, we run a course, um, a self-empowerment, a, a youth mentoring empowerment and mentoring course. Um, so we've got various ones of those coming up 
um, around the country. So we've got one coming up in Auckland Saturday, July 1st. Uh, and, yeah, I'm, I'm training for the network um, in Wellington. I'm in Tauranga in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, yeah, uh, lots of things coming up. And the best way to get hold of me is just Ross at Heart for Youth. That's three words joined together. Heart as in beating heart for, F-O-R, not the number. Heart for Youth as in young people. Dot org dot nz yeah and that's the same address for our uh, website as well okay so if they if you're listening to this live um on the friday that it airs then you might be able to go to the workshop but if not if you're listening to the replay i'm sure ross always has different trainings and things going on so can you just repeat the website they go to yep so it's simply heart for youth h e r H E A R T F O R youth y o u t h dot org dot nz. Amazing, and that's so email great. Is just Ross at Heart for Youth. Yeah, and and look, hey, I'm passionate about the small communities. They get overlooked a lot. So you know, if if you want to get some training going through through myself or through the New Zealand Youth Mentoring Network, get in, get in touch with me. And yeah, as I say, it's my absolute passion and we'll make it happen. <laughs> may not be this year, but <laughs> yeah. It's so important because, you know, I talk about how I help the people who help the people. You help the people who help the people because upskilling or equipping some of the people that are mentoring or interacting with youth because they're dealing with anxiety on a different level, you know, and other yep. and issues and stresses and strains that they haven't had to deal with before. So that's amazing that you're empowering so many people. So you guys Thank definitely you. get in touch with Ross. And Ross, last question. Is there anything else um, you would love to share with our listeners today before we wrap things up? Um, oh, I just I just want to encourage people Um you know, once again, I think I said at the start, you know, if, if you're an adult, um, you know, you might see or feel the cause, uh, but no, not know what to do, how to do, you know, if you jump on one of our courses, if you if you can, and, you know, I've just, I've had grandparents do this course and just come away and go, wow, I finally understand uh, my young people in the world that they're living in and navigating in. So, you know, I just want to encourage you um, as a parent, if you're struggling, um, just keep reaching out for help. And if if you find something that's not working for you, that's that's okay. Look for something out, uh, something else. And you know, a lot of the time it's in the village, right? And so, you know, I think we just so much. Um, we just lean on the government all the time. Politicians are people, right? They've got families and kids and struggles just like you, but but we just scream at the government. The government's not doing this. The government isn't going to fix probably anything, actually. <laughs> um, but, you know, the village is is powerful, you know? And so uh, for me, I've jumped on the um, New Zealand Adults ADHD um, Facebook page. I've learned a whole, st- whole lot of stuff about adults with ADHD. So so just, yeah, be, I think, courageous is where they come up. Yeah, be be courageous. And, um, you know, I just want to shout out, especially with the, you know, single parents, uh, you know, you, mums, you, you, you're my absolute superheroes. Um, and I just want to encourage you, you know, if, you, if you're supporting young people, just do the best you can and 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 on that journey look after yourself as well because that's really important uh, as we do what we're doing thank you so much ross for joining us today on the topic of building resilience ross mccook thanks so much ross thanks natalie and thanks for listening everyone 
You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR Reality Check Radio. So, so great to chat with Ross. That was Ross McCook. And Ross is amazing. So some of the things we discussed in that episode, that interview, is discipline with dignity, the concept of um, being a role model and doing failure well, (laughs) role model failure well, perseverance versus resilience, and having bounce back ability. I love that term. Also, name it and frame it. The frame it part is so important. So instead of giving like general, you're so great, you did awesome um, inspiration to to a teen, especially make it relevant, give it some context, be specific. So you can find more out about Ross. You can go to heartforyouth.org.nz. If you're thinking that you would maybe love to be a mentor, or maybe you've got a youth, a child in your life that needs a bit of mentoring, then you can get in touch with Ross at heartforyouth.org.nz. Also, I know that Ross has this event coming up, and I actually met Ross through the lovely Ellie Bambury, who I interviewed previously um, during my Keeping Kids Safe um, interview series that I did there a few weeks back. Now, Ellie, as well as another amazing parenting coach, um, Ina, Ina Neal, they're doing an event called Evolve, and I do believe it's in August. I'm sure you can find out about it if you contact Ross, or if you need to just message me, I can I can give you the link as well. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. You're here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. And this week, we're focusing on the topic of empowering families, something I'm totally into, something I'm totally obsessed with. And I have a brilliant guest coming up. We're talking to Sue O'Callaghan, and we're talking about when our kids can't cope, and the role of parents in regulating their children's nervous system. Welcome, Sue, to Reality Check Radio. It's so lovely to be here, Natalie. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad that we reconnected. I know you and I crossed paths about four or so years ago. You've been doing amazing work. So before we dive into the topic, I would love it if you could give us a bit of backstory. Tell us, you know, what brought you to this point of empowering families, uh, specifically around, you know, when they can't cope, trauma, etc.? Thank you so much. Great question. So my background is raising children in boarding schools. I taught in schools in Singapore, the UK, Australia and New Zealand. And so as the boarding house mistress, I worked with thousands of teenagers and I kind of realised what worked and what didn't. Following that, I went to work in prisons where I was teaching restorative justice to in maximum security prisons, mainly to women murderers. And there I looked at offenders and I thought what's gone wrong with the system women aren't born as murderers no one's born as a murderer what's happened in their life to cause such a devastating consequence to so many people and became really fascinated by trauma I then came to New Zealand and set up Teenage Toolbox in 2013 and that was very much to work with teenagers and parents in that sort of missing gap between children sailing in their own parents boat where the parents in control and then children hopping to their own sailing boat and and sailing off by themselves and often in the middle they're sort of drowning in the water and nobody knows whether they're in the parents boat or their own boat when they're independent but they need sort of support and self-care so I then set up Teenage Toolbox and my passion then was to work with self-harm, addiction, suicidation, ADHD, um, the highly sensitive child, depression, anxiety and so on and actually empowering parents and children to navigate that period of time in the water and to give children and parents the support they need. 
I mean, wow, you're listing off a lot of, um, I would call them, you know, heavy topics, but that is the reality that a lot of parents are living with these days. And for those of you that that haven't met Sue before, she's actually a twice published author, a public speaker, and a passionate advocate for mental health, specializing in trauma, stress, and anxiety. She, Like she mentioned, she founded the Teenage Toolbox back in 2013 um, and is a highly experienced therapist working one-on-one with parents and teens through all those things that she mentioned, anxiety, depression, emotional distress, ADHD, self-harm, addiction. Um, and, you know, when in as well as offering stress management for corporates and training and workshops. So I love that you cover that span of right the corporates right through to the parents just who are basically dealing with that day to day. And um, you've worked across, um, Sue's worked across schools in the UK, Singapore and Australia and New Zealand. So massive experience. I'm so, um, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I'm really honored actually to have you on the show today to share your extensive experience. And really what I love to do is to give parents tangible strategies or tips they can take on board and apply hopefully into their lives if they're experiencing any of those things today. Absolutely. What is something, and you talked about the sailboat, um, there's so many issues we can talk about, but what is something that you're seeing right now, you know, 2023, what is something that is coming up just all the time for you that parents are coming to you for, or that you're just seeing out there in society that you're concerned about? I think the biggest difference for me, if I think back to when I was in my early 20s, living in boarding schools, and over a period of 15 years moving around the world in boarding schools, we never saw self-harm. I think I saw one self-harmer in 12 schools in which I worked and 15 years. Now the prevalence for parents knocking on my door is desperation to deal with self-harm. Um, addiction, high prevalence of anxiety, dysregulated emotions, ADHD diagnosis increased probably 50% in the last five years, highly sensitive children not being managed in the school system. And what it boils down to is children's nervous systems are highly dysregulated. And if I look at the reasons why the difference is so significant in the last 35 years between when I started teaching and now, I would say the use of the internet, high stress, instant society, access to information that's beyond their years, porn, social media addiction. I would say that they're living in a society where they access information about climate change, global warming wars, pandemics, floods in New Zealand, earthquakes in New Zealand. And so we're living in a system where we are dysregulating their nervous system into fight and flight the whole time. And the problem then is the natural means that a child has to regulate their nervous system into calm and safe and socially connected. We've removed those strategies as well. So children on their devices, they're not connected. They're not in nature. We've broken down the family units so we don't have the whānau or the tribe regulating those feelings and emotions. So if I was to summarize it, Natalie, I would say it's dysregulated nervous system. Yeah, which is a very, um, you know, it sounds like a, a, a fancy word, a fancy way of saying things. But I think when you list off all of those things you just did, um, we understand why. You know, I was going to say to you, why are our kids not coping? But you basically just answered that because how could they cope with all of that going on? The information overload, the fear that is available 24-7, 
And I also want to talk a little bit more about not just social media addiction, but the porn piece and what impact that has on children in terms of their own personal confidence, but also relationships. So maybe let's go there. Um, you know, if kids are accessing content like that, what are the implications? The implications are dysfunctional relationships. The implications are dopamine addiction. And we know that to regulate the nervous system, there's four chemicals that's needed against the adrenaline and cortisol, which is produced in a fight flight state. So we've got dopamine, which is the reward chemical. We've got oxytocin, which is the love chemical. We've got serotonin, which is a mood stabilizer. And we've got endorphins, which are painkillers. And children are very naturally seeking these chemicals all the time, subconsciously. We know pregnant women will seek in food, the very chemicals or the nutrients that they need when they're pregnant. And in the same way, children are seeking these chemicals in very unhealthy ways when they're deficient. So, for example, porn addiction is giving children a dopamine fix, as is social media addiction. When somebody gets a like or they've got a response to a post, then they're getting a dopamine fix. It's that reward chemical. And they're getting serotonin mood stabilizers through use of drugs. Um, they're getting cutting, often produces endorphins, which is the pain reliever, and also serotonin the mood stabilizers. So children are being exposed to resources that are bringing calm to the nervous system but it's also highly destructive and we see the consequence usually I work with teenagers and the consequence of porn addiction is um, it's actually harming the brain the brain's too young to cope with that level of dopamine coming in they need higher and higher quantities of the dopamine to, to keep getting the fix and also in terms of having healthy relationships with the opposite sex or same sex they're exposed to images. And I think once you open those eye gates or ear gates, huge destruction is, is also done to the, dysregulate that nervous system back into fight, flight and freeze mode, even dissociation, ADHD and so on. And I, I think that it, it sounds like most of these things, it keeps coming back to the nervous system, which is why you chose it as our focus for today. Um, what can parents do about it, whether, whether it be, you know, that your child is watching porn or your child is super concerned about, you know, global warming because they keep talking about it or whatever it is, because they are in this fight or flight, how can we as parents support and empower our children to calm and regulate their nervous system? I think the first thing is to understand the role of the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, which is to naturally dysregulate. So if you're driving down the street in the car and you've got your children, you're singing a song and you're laughing in the car and another car shoots in front of you, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to swerve out the way or you're going to jam your foot on the brake. So we need our nervous system to be ready to fight or flight at any moment. And I would say to my teenagers, you're in the room right now, we're having a chat and you're calm and you're talking about what's happened this week. But if a tiger comes racing in the door, you've got two choices. You're going to fight the tiger or you're going to run away from the tiger. But what happens if that tiger is too big to fight and it's going to maul you alive? And what happens if it's too fast for you so you can't run? You've got a third choice, which is to freeze. And to freeze is a really healthy state as well. It means our nervous system is, is working very um, competently to protect us from pain. So if a tiger is going to eat us alive, we don't want to feel the pain, so we will shut off our body to experience pain. Or Also, we can possibly pretend that we're dead so the tiger will walk away and not think that we're its next meal. 
So either the states are very healthy to shift into. And we would know also that, I mean, when I would put ADHD into the bracket of freeze mode, it's dissociation, it's attention deficit because the exterior world is too overwhelming for a child to survive in. It's when cutting or self-harm comes in. And it's when a child or an adult says, I cannot fight or flight anymore. I'm too exhausted or it doesn't work. So I'm just going to freeze and cut off. So every single state that the this nervous system moves into it's a protective healthy state and we're meant to dysregulate from one state to another but we're also meant to regulate back into calm and soothing so the problem for parents is really to notice when your child can't regulate back into calm and they remain in depression which is more dissociation and cutting off from the exterior world or more in anxiety which is the fight flight response attention deficit and I work a lot with attention deficit children and also ADHD, um, yeah, cutting, self-harm, a child staying in the bedroom for too long. So the first thing is to recognize that the help the to dysregulate is a very healthy response for the nervous system. But secondly, what can we do about it? So once we recognized it, then our role as parents is to regulate our children back into the, the healthy system. The most important role we can play is to regulate our own nervous system and how to, and learn how to do it. So we're not triggered by their nervous system state. If you think about two magnets, two magnets can either attract each other or they can repel each other. And if our nervous system as parents is dysregulated, we are also going to dysregulate our child's nervous system. If we can learn to regulate our nervous system, and that might mean put ourselves on timeout when they're angry or they're having a tantrum and come back so that we're calm, we can also regulate the nervous system. And I can teach you a few healthy ways to do that as well. I would love to hear some healthy ways to do that because there will be parents they they want to. Of course, we want the best for our children. We don't want them to feel um to be in any of those states for too long. We do want to empower them to come back to that place of calm. So what are some strategies that we can do um to I I love that you mentioned, you know, of course, we want to do it for ourselves. Like it's not so much role modeling, it's genuinely doing it for ourselves. Um, but yeah, if you want to walk us through any specific techniques, my audience loves anything practical like that. Wonderful. Great question. Thank you, Natalie. So if you look at a young baby, when the baby cries, the mother will soothe it by stroking its head or a mother will soothe it by rocking it. So this is called emotional regulation. As a child develops a healthy attachment and healthy emotional regulation will look like something like your three-year-old runs down the street and they trip over a rock and they burst into tears. They've got a bleeding knee and they're angry at the rock. So instead of picking them up and saying, come on, you'll be absolutely fine. We use this opportunity to teach resilience and to teach them to regulate their own nervous system. So I would say in that situation, a mother or father would pick up the child and self-soothe them. So sit them on the knee, on, they're rubbing their own leg better. They're saying, oh, it's bleeding and it really hurts. Come on, feel the pain. Can you feel the pain? It hurts so much, doesn't it? And you're rubbing it better. And what they're hearing then as a teenager is it hurts. It's painful, but it will get better because they've had their parent do that for them. And then you say, and you're angry. Look at that naughty rock that tripped you over. Come on, can you feel the anger on your body? So you're getting a child to feel that energy in their body that's got to come out. And they say, should we kick the rock, naughty rock? Let's kick the rock. We wouldn't kick a person but let's kick the rock and we teach the child to get the anger out of the body and then we see the child is crying and crying is really important the minute we cry tears release oxytocin which is a healing chemical so we want to encourage our children to cry in a healthy way so we say and you're sad 
let's cry, let's cry together. See those tears coming down your chin. And so what we're doing in that situation, Mm. we're teaching our child three different emotions, the pain that we feel and that it will last a period of time, but then it will get better. We're teaching the child to name anger and the anger is an energy in the body we need to get out of the body. We're teaching the child they feel sad so they can cry. So healthy co-regulation and co is two people together is when we're teaching the child what the emotion is, we're naming it and we're teaching them what to do with it. And it might be mindfulness activities, it might be meditation, it might be walking in the woods, it might be walking the dog, but we're giving children those strategies. So I would say, you know, to get healthy amounts of oxytocin, which is we call the love hormone, it's actually something like walking the dog. It's when the dog greets us when we first come home from school or we see a child is emotionally dysregulated and we'd say, do you fancy taking the dog for a walk? I haven't walked it today, but you know it's going to be a soothing activity for the child. To get a healthy quantity of dopamine, we want to empower the children to complete tasks and exercises. So it's not just sport, it's not just competition, but it's actually learning to do something new and feeling that reward when they achieve something, praising them, encouraging them when they do something. Serotonin is really important for mood stabilizing as well. So we want to teach them how we can actually get those chemicals in our body. So serotonin is very healthy food. You know, it's the bright green and colorful fruit and vegetables. It's meditating, it's swimming, it's spending time in the in the sun. It's using sensory modulation to so anything to do with the five senses. So if you've got essential oils, have them in the background. If you can play music in the room, when your children come home from school and they're distressed, then have some calming music in the background. You can think about having textures and shapes and things that they can touch and feel. So anything to do with the senses will calm our children down in the same way that they will be overstimulated by them. I I just was thinking of an example. I have these pillows on our couch and they're the sequin pillows. I love sequins. Mm. So many people will come over and they'll just sit there with the pillow on their knee. These are adults, you know, rubbing because you you push it one way and they go one way and you push the other. Um, I think even that is a simple and super affordable thing that people can buy from like Kmart, you know, one of those pillows and just have it. And and it's like, uh, cause it kind of is almost like that. It's a rocking technique of sorts. Um, I love that you mentioned that. I also love that you mentioned oils because I'm a big fan. Um, but I agree the sense, did you call it sensory modulation? Is that the word you use? Yeah, that's the technique we use in trauma therapy. Mm -hmm. So any of the senses, if we activate those in our children, it will bring calm and soothing to them. And I was talk about, I don't know if many of the listeners have watched the film, The Sound of Music, but in there we learn the seven sarfigios, do, e, mi, so, la, ti, and do. And if you play any music with those seven sarfigios in, which is classical music, it's meditative music, they are the seven healing sounds. And interestingly, in the Second World War, the American Navy detuned music by two hertz so they could send the men off to war in rage, um, terror, hatred, anger, so they could fight as opposed to calm, peace, healing, and so on. And so a lot of the children are, the music our children's listening to is detuned. So if we put on the sounds, which are meditative, calming sounds, it's regulating our children again. And if you think about a movie, we all know when a murder is going to happen because of the use of music to stimulate our nervous system into anxiety, fight, flight, and we know something's going to happen. And again, at the end, when something frightening has happened, they will use music to calm our nervous system back down. So use of music is very clever in the industry of film and TV. 
I'm so pleased you mentioned that in one of my upcoming episodes, I actually talk about frequencies and music. And I agree, you know, people don't realize the hertz, you know, the frequency and how that can affect your mental health and well-being. And I even Googled the other day, you know, frequency for feeling calm. And it literally tells you the frequency and then it gives you an example. And if you just put something like that on the UE boom, you have it playing in the background when the kids come home from school or even when you're working, you know, just to maintain a calm peace of mind rather than just putting on quote unquote music, because a lot of the lyrics of music are not, not great. Um, I'm just going to go back to the example you gave with the kicking of the rock. And I love that so much because I imagine, you know, I'm a mother of three, my kids are all teen, teens and tweens, but I vividly remember those days, for example, dropping one off at kindy, walking home with the other two, one in a stroller, one on a scooter, you know, I can totally see that happening. And I imagine some parents would be like, you're fine. Dust yourself off. You're all good. Like the soldier on mentality. But I loved how you were encouraging us. And other parents would be the opposite. They'd be like, oh no, did you get a boo-boo? Like, look at you. And they'd really, they'd do that, right? There's the two extremes. But what you did was kind of down the middle, but I loved how your in your example, it was, it was acknowledging, you know, the pain and also acknowledging the emotion of anger and giving them an outlet and talking about, you know, let's get that out of your body. Like even saying those words, because Yes, releasing the anger from your body. Even as an adult, you know, me as an adult, I've experienced so much anger in the past three years, more than, you know, the 47 years leading up to that point. Um, and for me, learning how to express that in a productive way, but not hold it in has been really important. It's something we don't learn as kids. And I think you've raised something really interesting, which is the two different responses from parents. And one is much more teaching to regulate feelings and emotions by teaching what the those feelings actually are and where they are in the body. And the other one is learning resilience. And parents often come to me and, and the dad might say, well, I just say to my child, brush it off, you're absolutely fine. And my mum might say, no, I want to soothe them. But the role of both parents is really important. We want both. We want that healthy balance. We do want them to pick themselves up. So we want them to hear that voice, which is, you're fine. Um, so it's neither one nor the other. It's a healthy balance of learning resilience, but also at some stage, having an opportunity to teach a child, well, you're feeling really angry right now. So there's no point in trying to meditate and soothe it. What we want to do is get the anger out of the body. So I say to my teen boys and parents, you know, have a punch bag hanging on the deck outside. So you can go and express that anger, go for a run, go to the gym. But if you're feeling sad and you're feeling grief, often you don't want to do adrenaline producing sport you want to do something more meditative you want to do breathing exercise or some tapping so it's really understanding what each emotion and feeling needs to be released from the body in a really healthy way I, that's so important. And we'd love to hear from our audience as well. We'd love to know what um, techniques you're using for acknowledging emotions, releasing them from the body. What has worked for you? Uh, let us know. You can text 2057. You can email inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. Um, and also, you know, what are you seeing in the at the moment with, with teens and what they're experiencing? Um, coming back to you, Sue, I know we talked at the start, you mentioned about Cutting. Um, I don't really have experience in that area. I do know someone in my extended family who experienced that with her children. Um, what can parents do? Because is it a cry for help or is it just one way that they can actually feel the emotions that they're experiencing? I actually don't know. Can you tell us a little bit more about that um, and also how the parents can support their ch children so that they don't need to do that? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because it's such 
an important one to ask today because the prevalence of cutting is so high. And I think the immediate response from a parent is terror. Nobody wants to see their child's cut and the desperation. So what I see from parents is, you know, it's a, it's a healthy response. There's a fear response of anger, shouting at their child, crying themselves, the devastation. And it's really hard to regulate your nervous system when you see what's happened. But I think the most important thing is to understand what cutting is all about and not to be afraid of it. So I often see cutters that have been in the system for two, three years. They're hospitalized. Um, some of them are so bad. And the system hasn't made much difference because the system tries to stop the cutting. Now, what I do is something quite different. I call cutting Clara. And I say to my teenagers, so when you're emotionally really upset, you've got a best friend that comes into your bedroom. Normally it's a bedroom where the cutting happens. And I say, she's called Clara. So tell me, what does Clara do for you? And they normally say, Clara makes me feel really calm. I feel really peaceful when Clara's around. And so when we have a conversation around what Clara gives to the child, we start to understand what their needs are. Then we can start to investigate why they need to feel calm. Quite a lot of children are triggered into cutting because of shouting, screaming, and fighting between parents in the house. A lot of children also cutting because of relationship splits, bullying at school, not fitting in, and again, not managing that high level of anxiety. So we know cutting is not a cry for help. It's not a cry for attention. It is actually a way for children to get an instant release of endorphins, which is a painkiller. So when the emotions and feelings are too intense, they have absolutely no idea what to do. And cutting will release the intensity of those feelings and emotion. And also they can get serotonin, which is a mood stabilizer from it. But when you work with Clara and you ask her, if you spent one day away from my bedroom a week, what would you need to be able to do that? Then the teenager will tell you. So we start to understand not, not what's wrong with the child, but what's happened to them to cause the cutting. And any survival response, cutting, um, arguments, emotional dysregulation, fights in the household, dissociation, tantrums, sulking. It is a desperate attempt to survive what they're going through. And that's one thing we're doing 24-7. All we're trying to do 24-7 is survive. And if you think about a newborn baby, if it doesn't survive, it will literally die. So if we don't get our needs met, we're going to die. So when a child is cutting... The intensity of the emotions are suggesting subconsciously you're going to die and the terror is so increased, they've got to do something straight away to provide that pain relief. So I'd say cutting is not something to be frightened of. It's something to work with. And we work with Clara. And the most important thing to understand for a parent is when Clara turns up in the bedroom, the child's not feeling safe. So we want to improve safety. So I would put a safety plan into place. Who do you feel safe with? What is a safe routine for you? Who are, um, where are safe places you can go? So I would say create a little sanctuary for the child. So we want to actually decorate your bedroom and have a nice beanbag in it and choose some fabrics that you really like. So this is a safe place to go when you're feeling emotionally dysregulated. And again, Clara might spend less time there if it's got some essential oils burning, if there's a pet that can come into the bedroom, if they're allowed maybe to chat to their friends, it's not the healthiest, healthiest thing to be on social media, but if they can go and regulate by talking to their friends, but often the first punishment a child gets when they've done something wrong is to have their phone taken away. And that is the only connection with the outside world. That is only connection with the ability to regulate. So I'd suggest 
choosing other strategies other than removing a phone if you've got a cutter because that is their connection with the world but again it's having conversations but also it's a frightening I remember when I was in a boarding school and I probably saw one episode of cut, cutting and I was shocked I was terrified I had a fear response and that dysregulated my nervous system into being terrified of what to do and even should I say anything or not but I think it's creating safety for the child and it's very frightening for a child to admit they're cutting it's very normal a child will hide it for a year or two years and then it will come out in an argument but seek help as well parents can seek help before they confront a child and if they seek professional help understand how to respond to the child it's really important as well so the parent gets support through the cutting as well i think what you just shared with us is so is going to be so powerful for some parents because it's stuff that you just know it's like you just know it so well we have no idea like the 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 piece about you know the cell phone and um making it their room a safe place those are some really helpful things my next question around that and then we'll move on is so if a parent is sees something or they suspect, should they address the child or what is the best way to do it in a way that doesn't make things worse? The most important thing is that the child, because they're unsafe, if there's discovery, the child needs to be heard. So if a child says, I'm cutting because, the most important thing is to hear the child. And the children often come to me and say, but my parents don't hear me, they don't understand. And the parents will come back and say, well, I do understand. I said I understood why you're so upset because you split with your boyfriend, because I remember splitting with my boyfriend at your age, and I remember how painful it was. And I say to a parent, that's not hearing a child. What it means to create safety to hear a child is to repeat back to the child what they've said without bringing your viewer into it, your opinion into it, your experience into it. So if a child says, I'm cutting because... I'm just so unhappy and I feel depressed and I don't feel I fit in at school. I hate school. All you do is say to your child, I hear you're cutting because you don't feel as though you fit in at school. You're feeling anxious and feeling overwhelmed. Is that right? And you ask them the question, is that right? So they can come back to you and say, no, you've got it all wrong. You didn't hear me. And then you repeat it again. Is that right? Having repeated it a second time. And then when the child feels heard, that's half the battle because Clara not only soothes a child, but also hears, validates and sees the child when nobody else does. So we want to do that. So the most important um, strategy to use is to have a healthy conversation just to hear without an opinion, without a view. Regulate yourself elsewhere, go for a walk, go for a run, go and see a therapist yourself, but come back and have a soothing, calming conversation. And you could ask your child, is there anything that I can give you that you're not getting at the moment? And that is a, that is a powerful question because it's very open. It's not, you know, tell me what's wrong and da, 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 and not coming in with a solution. It's just, is there anything I can do that you're not getting at the moment? So good. Um, what else would you love to share? I'm going to go in a moment to the questions I ask all my guests, but is there anything else that you, that's, you've got on your mind that you want to share with us today around our topic, which of course is when our kids can't cope the role of parents in regulating their children's nervous system. Yes, I think it's to imagine that your child has got a bucket, as do you, and inside that bucket, every single day, people are putting stressful situations into it and your anxiety bucket's getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And there's two things we can do. One is to daily reduce that bucket down so we get our child's bucket of anxiety down and down and down. And the second thing is, if the anxiety is full and we haven't managed to do that for them, what do we do 
when the bucket boils over and all the emotions and feelings come out. And then there's a panic attack and lots of children are having anxiety attacks. So when children come to see me with anxiety attacks, I, I teach them how to daily do exercises to bring the anxiety levels down. And then it would be a strategy, which is to use breathing if they're actually having a panic attack. Now, if somebody said to you, hey, Natalie, there's a tiger that's about to rush in your door and I want you to do a breathing exercise, you'd probably say, I'm not going to do a breathing exercise. I'm actually just going to run or fight the tiger or I'm going to freeze. There's no way, Sue, you can expect me to sit there and say, hang on, tiger, I'm just going to breathe. It doesn't make a difference. But if we teach a child to do breathing exercises daily, when they're not in a panic situation, then they are going to bring the anxiety levels down and they're going to manage to actually regulate their feelings and emotions. So breathing exercise, a really good breathing exercise is four, seven, eight. And it would be to breathe in for four seconds. So we count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi. We hold for seven seconds and then we breathe out over eight seconds. It's really important we breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. So I say, smell the roses when you're breathing in and blow out the candles when you're breathing out. So four, seven, eight is really easy to remember. So when I see children and I can see their somatic body is responding with panic or fidgetation, I say, come on, let's do some four, seven, eight. So it's a really good time to prevent a panic attack. The most important thing also to understand is when someone's having a panic attack is that the heart rate has increased. The muscles are responding to fighting or running away. So they've got increased energy in the muscles. The pupils are dilating. The prefrontal cortex is shut down, so they can't think logically about what to do. And the stomach will have no oxygen. It doesn't. We don't need to digest food when we're in the panic state. So what we want to do is quickly bring the heart rate down as fast as we can. So if we can keep the heart rate down generally by doing four, seven, eights or box breathings, many breathing techniques online, and you can sit your children in front of some YouTube talks on breathing and get them to practice as well then we can start to introduce safety and calm to the nervous system. But it's really, breathing is the quickest way to get a child to come back to calm. And if they're in a stressful situation in school and they've just been told there's going to be a test tomorrow or they're going to speak on stage tomorrow and that's their one terror and fear, then they can sit at school at the desk and do four, seven, eight straight away to bring their nervous system down to calm. So we want to give them the tools to do it for themselves. I, I totally agree. And it's empowering them. It's equipping them with some skills and strategies they can do when they are calm so that when they're not calm, they can draw on them. You know, my kids always tease me because I'm, I, I always have to make up little rhymes and things like that to remember things. And I, so I just wrote down roses and candles. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I mean, four, seven, eight, yes, but I would probably, I'm not good with numbers. I would be like three, seven, two, like I can't remember the numbers. I can remember roses and candles. So for me, it would be like, what did she say? Oh, that's right. Roses and candles. <laughs> Smell the roses, blow the candles. Got it. Got it. Um, so helpful. And we do love those practical strategies. Uh, for those of you for, for those of you that are longtime listeners, or maybe you're new, we've got a whole ton of replays. And we did talk a, a few times about different strategies. So you can check those out on uh, realitycheck.radio slash replays. Um, and this one, of course, will become a, a replay. So if you're listening to the replay, you can um, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear if you're using the roses and candles technique, either for yourself or for your kids. All right, Sue, I'm going to go to the questions that I ask all my lovely guests. Number one, up your brave. What is one time in the last year where you have truly upped your brave, either something you've done, achieved, or navigated through? I think it's, um, I put myself through post-grad study 
And it was so hard for me to work full time, have a family and study. And I put myself through Dr. Gebel Matthews trauma course in America. So it's online training. Um, there was a lot of diets and triads and doing practical exercises, doing the workshops, getting the assignments done. And I got to halfway through the year and I thought, I can't do it. I actually can't work every evening and every week weekend, as well as manage to regulate my nervous system by doing some healthy self-soothing exercises and sport. But I actually managed to get through it. And I was so proud of myself because it was a very demanding year for me. But it's made such a significant difference to my clients and to my work. So I'm, I'm really grateful I did it. That's huge. Congratulations. Thank you so much. What is one thing that you've got on your bucket list, which is something you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime? And we can possibly help you with that. I love that question. It's all about personal growth, isn't it? And expanding and stretching. And I'm all into positive psychology, which is, you know, what do you want to do? Where's the hope? Where's the joy? And my word for this this year was be a joy seeker. If you have to seek two things, would you seek the depression and, and the hopelessness and the worthlessness? Or would you look for the joy? So it's to be a joy seeker. And I think my one thing would be I'm doing more and more public speaking, um, running parenting workshops, doing teacher training in schools, introducing trauma-informed programs into the corporate world. And it would be to travel more with my work. So I'm going to the UK in the month of August. Would love to have some openings over there. Um, so wherever you are, if you feel as though you would like to have some parenting workshops, even if it's online, do a lot online as well, then you know where to contact me. Well, that's amazing. You are a very busy lady. I know you're very in demand and you just have this burning desire like I do to help people. And it's great that you're able to do that. Um, so for those of you out there that have connections, maybe in the UK, um, you know what, looking up on LinkedIn, people that are in LinkedIn, that's a great way to tell people that you're, you're going to be in the UK and you've got a few openings for doing some workshops. Uh, but also of course here in New Zealand, sadly, there's no shortage of people that are actually really in need of your help at the moment. Yeah. It's a pretty desperate market. Yeah. What else, what have you got coming up? You know, let's say in the next six months, so you're going to the UK, what else have you got coming up and how can people connect with you online and reach out? So my contact website is teenagetoolbox.com. So www.teenagetoolbox.com. And my email is teenagetoolbox at gmail.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn under Sue O'Callaghan. At the moment, I'm concentrating on developing um, talks internationally. So I am also working as a trauma therapist. So if you're interested in seeking help, then just contact me. We can do one-on-one -on -one trauma therapy online. I work in Australia and America, um, England and Germany. So we have Zoom calls all around the world. So if you want some support, then you can contact me on there. And I think it's amazing how you also work with teachers because teachers are really having to deal with a lot of stuff that maybe 10 years ago, they never really saw, you know, coming across their desk, coming into their classroom. And they're already very stretched and not paid enough and all those things. So that's amazing that you're able to kind of help them to upskill or at least be empowered to handle some of these situations. Yeah, it's a very frightening situation for teachers to be in. I was a teacher for many years, and I think teachers nowadays are also understanding they need to be the counsellor. They can't just send the children to the counsellor. The counsellors are in high demand. 
but also the role, they have a really significant, very vital, important role in the classroom because often it's the only place some children feel safe because of the safe routine, safe structure. There's a kind face as well. The biggest tip I would say to, te to teachers is when you have ADHD children, they're often the children that get shouted at for not concentrating and not paying attention in class. They are attention deficiting because the place they go to in their mind is the healthy, safe place to go to. So one strategy to teachers love is when they when I teach them to say, look, you're so welcome to go to that safe place. When you have finished in that safe place, we're here waiting for you and you're so welcome to come back into the classroom. And if you'd like to chat to me afterwards, I'm always available to chat to you. But help the children understand it's a really safe place they go to. It's not somewhere unsafe. It's not that they're disobedient or not paying attention. It is a safe place for them to go where they need to go. And if you welcome them back, they spend less time going there because they feel safe. So brilliant. That languaging and the acknowledgement is empowering for both the teacher and the child. Hey, before we wrap things up, Sue, is there anything else you'd love to share with our audience on today's topic? Look, I think it's a really heavy topic, but it's one that's obviously so prevalent today. And I think if you understand that as a parent, it's easy to feel guilty when you look back at some of the things you've said or done, and it might be triggering on this session today thinking, well, I don't regulate my child's emotional system and I haven't done that and I'm always triggered myself. Actually, as parents, you're just doing the best you can. And that's all we can do as parents. All you can do is be a a good enough parent and often parents come to see me to say can you help my teenager and it's often the parents that need support and help themselves to realize they're doing a good job and to pick up some tools and techniques so go to some parenting classes there's so much information online but also realize that you're just doing the best you can in the situation that you're in and well done pat yourself on the back and say congratulations that you've done such a great job give yourself some self-love yourself oh that's so good that's such a lovely note to end on and we really are. We're empowering families, but we're empowering the parents and empowering the kids. And you've given us some really, really good tangible strategies today. So thank you so much for joining us. So great to be here. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks, Sue. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. So many amazing tools there in that interview with Sue, Sue O'Callaghan. And here you can find her at, ironically, I'm laughing because it's toolbox. So many tools. Um, you can find her at teenagetoolbox.com. Sue is amazing. She's an incredible speaker. She also coaches people. Um, and there's so many things that people really do need support with these days. Some of the things we covered in this interview include sensory modulation, how to regulate, how to calm and soothe, and um, dis dysregulated emotions. We talked, we talked also about the impact of the internet a little bit briefly and creating a safety plan and the concept of having an anxiety bucket. So much uh, insight and wisdom there. Thank you so much, Sue, for sharing that with us. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but... Practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for 
a reality check. Reality check. RCR. Reality check radio. Rational discussion. Common sense. And open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. Welcome back, everybody. This is Natalie Cutler-Welsh on the Up Your Brave show on Reality Check Radio. Now, my next guest is Gloria Masters, and we are going to be shining the light on a very dark um, it problem that is not just here in New Zealand, but it's international. We're going to call this episode The Power of Truth, and I'm so excited to be covering this very critical topic. Welcome to the show, Gloria. Thank you so much. Such an honor to be here. Yeah, this is this is a this is an intense episode, everyone. So prepare yourselves. Um, and you might want to just be aware of if you've got kids listening in the background, maybe put on your earbuds. Uh, but this is something we all do need to know. Now, if for, for those of you that haven't met Gloria, you haven't heard of Gloria Masters before, Gloria is the first and foremost, she's a survivor of sexual abuse as a child. Her journey from darkness into light is actually one of hope, resilience, and the unrelenting power of the human spirit to survive. She comes from New Zealand, where she was born into sex trafficking. And if you haven't heard that term, you will be familiar with it by the end of this episode. Um, she was actually trained by her grandmother to be the best ch- um, child sex worker possible. For the first 16 years of her life, she suffered horrendous sexual, physical, psychological abuse at the hands of her father with nobody to protect her. From the underworld of her father's pedophile ring, To the groups he trafficked her to, she found inner strength and a light that shone so bright, her mind was the one thing that could not be destroyed. Uh, Today, we're going to shine the light on the issue of child abuse, and this is going to be challenging for us, Um, and it was challenging for her to speak out, and that's what she's doing today, making a difference. Now, Gloria is also the author of two books, her memoir, On Angel's Wings, My Flight from Trauma to Grace detailing the 16 years of unparalleled sexual abuse and trauma and her second book, Flight Path to Healing, a guide um, a guide to for adult survivors of child sexual abuse, which is an experiential guide for survivors. And tragically, there are thousands, hundreds and thousands of, of survivors. So we're going to talk about that today. Welcome, Gloria. Uh, before we dive into all this, I, I'd love it if you could just paint us a picture, give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got to where you are. Yeah, look, thanks, Nat. And I realise that uh, the bio and and my life is is uh, pretty horrendous for people. So lots of love to you and to the audience. Uh, we know that when truth is spoken, um, souls are freed. So that's that's what I'm trying to do today. Um, the backstory is that I was unfortunately born into a family where child sex trafficking was the norm. I was trained by my father 
My grandmother, his mother, was paid commission to teach me the art of seduction, and they started making money out of me um, by the time I was six. Um, So many people paid lots of money, including females, adult women, uh, to abuse me. And I think what happened for me was that until the age of 16, there's many levels to this, but I was made to perform in lots of um, child sexual abuse materials. We don't call it pornography because it minimizes it, Matt, and we can't. Every every, um, movie like that is considered officially a crime scene as it should be. So uh, there were many things I was involved in and paid to do. Um, And I think I'm very grateful for two reasons. One, that I made it through. And two, that I'm finally healed enough to talk about it and give back. And that's what I'm doing today. I actually think there will be a couple of different types of people listening today. We'll have people that go, surely not, like surely not in New Zealand for some of the stuff we're going to cover. We yeah. will also have people that have probably tears streaming down their face because they too, they too have experienced this as a child or a teen. Um, and they also didn't have anyone to protect them. What what can you, I mean, at some point, I'd love you to share some advice for anyone who's actually in that at the moment. And I don't know if you want to do that now or later. Um, But thank you for coming on today and having the courage. Thank you to our listeners for having the courage to listen to this. It's really easy to put your head in the sand. And I know that this is a contentious topic, but we do need to realize what is going on, what has been going on. I'm going to even say for hundreds of years. I don't know. what. How long has this been going on? Look, I think since time began, I think it's a little bit of a, a myth or a misnomer that this began in, um, you know, the year 2000. No, it didn't. It's been going on forever. I mean, um, I think where there's power over for some people who are psychopaths or um, or have that mindset, um, anything like this where there's power over uh, someone who's weaker and children certainly are. Um, if that's their proclivity, then that's what happens. But I think um, there's always hope, and that's what I'm really wanting to look at today is ways for people to emerge through this and also ways for us as a country uh, to deal with this. Agreed. And I'm also, because I'm I'm really into empowering families. And so I know that you've been doing some things lately, like there's a hand signal that you've created. I'd love for you to share that. So let's start with, if we can, how would we know? Are there certain signs that a parent would notice if something like this was happening? I mean, I've heard of a situation where the couple, you know, the parents were divorced and the mom didn't know it was going on because she didn't have sole custody. But so how, what would, what signs or signals would a parent look for? Cause this could also be happening in a childcare location. So it might, it's not always the parent. Well, I think so. So there's a couple of things that may help Nat. One is that over 93% of child sexual abuse today is, um, is by a person or people known to the child. So I think, um, Expecting that it's the old stranger danger is inaccurate. 
Um, and I think there's many things around signs. So one thing I often tell parents is, is simply this. You are the expert on your child. If you notice that your child's behavior is changing and becoming extreme, either more out there, more attention-seeking, more verbal, vocal, aggressive, um, there there's could be a signal there. Equally, where a child has become quite withdrawn, uh, there could be something going on there. The, uh, there are so many things, Nat, but maybe just a few more. One is, and I, I really think this is powerful for parents, for those that don't understand what regression is, regression is going back in time. So if you see your child or adolescent regressing, it might be that they start clinging to you. It might be that they don't want to leave your side. They just seem to want to hang out with you constantly. It might be that you see some... Um, powerful body reactions like, I don't know, thumb sucking or rocking back and forth. Um, it might be that they're just on the verge of tears all the time. So there's a couple of things that you can do, and one is this, and I think it's powerful. Are you okay for me? Yes. Net? Okay. So one is this. Stop asking children what's happened. That's an adult theory. Children show us through their behavior, but equally we've got a little shortcut because keep in mind, children that are being abused are also being threatened to keep the silence. They're told you can never tell anyone or don't you ever speak. Well, guess what? Let's get around that, Nat. Put down a pen and a bit of paper, draw two boxes, say to the child, can you tick the box here with the Y in it? If something's happening that's making you feel uncomfortable. They weren't told they couldn't draw or write. I think that's so important to give kids. And because we do that, we're like, what's happened? Tell me what's wrong. And then they just shut down. Very simple, giving them a box to tick. Now, of course, they might tick a box and it might not be something as dire as this, but well, it, at least it. it gets things going. We start there and then we break it down and we break it down and we break it down. I was over in Australia on a radio um, show there and where parents were calling in and asking all these sorts of things. And I think the power is in the child doing or showing through their play. So there are many, many modalities um, that children or forms that children can use to express something's not right. So if you get yes, I'm not okay, your, your next question to the beautiful parents and grandparents out there might be, um, is someone hurting you, yes or no, and then is someone, you know, touching you? So so there's kind of a pro progression we go through. Um, and people are very welcome, Nat, um, to reach out if they have questions or sometimes I run group sessions for for parents to join so that they can ask any questions they wish. Thank you. And I'll get you to tell us where, I, I mean, I'll do it at the end, but I'll get you to do it now as well. Uh, because there will be some parents that think, I don't know, there's no, I have no proof, but something doesn't feel right. You know, and we're, I'm really encouraging people to always listen to their intuition, listen yes. to their gut. I encourage my children to do the same thing. If, I was like, if, if you're at a party or you're walking down the street and it, things just don't feel right in your body, you listen to that. So I'm saying to the parents out there, even if you have no quote unquote proof, 
just listen to your and and maybe do this activity with the yes no boxes. Gloria, how can they reach out to you if they want to have a conversation or get a bit of support in this area? Right. So if they go to GloriaMasters.com, there's a coaching section there. And I offer group work or individual work. So for instance, there might be four mums who think, oh, I want to hear more about it. I've got concerns about my six-year-old or my 12-year-old or my 15-year-old. Just another couple of tips though, Nax. I think parents deserve to have everything they can at their fingertips. If a child is layering on clothes, that's also a sign because we believe as children, sometimes if we can put more on us, it's harder to get to us. And then I guess the other thing is start noticing your child's body language when someone's in the room or when, you know, Nana or Pop say, come and stay with me. and Or, uh, you know, parents might say, go and give Auntie, John, uh, Auntie Nancy a kiss or something. Stop doing that. Repeat after me. Stop making your child touch anybody. Stop that, parents, please. Leave it to the child to choose. They will show you through their behaviour that they're not feeling safe. Does that make sense, Nat? It, it's so critical. You know, we, yeah. we it's something we do as parents sometimes, like give grandma a hug. And, it, oh. you know, my friend, you know, we, we actually yeah. did an episode about human design um, the other week. And we talk, we talk about some giving people what we call it this or that offer like a choice. Do you want it? So it's like, do you want to hug grandma or just wave her goodbye? I just want to wave her goodbye. Okay. Let's do that. Magic. And it could be as simple as Nana's breath smells or exactly Popper's or uncle John's got whiskers and it hurts the skin. Who knows? But the point is we've got to start allowing the child to choose. And that is survivors is what, what survivors never had was a choice. So we must always offer people and children the power of choice. I've been, you know, this is an issue I've been concerned about for many, many years. Um, and I'm, I always talk about how I like to shine the light on people and, and issues around the world. Some of them bright and some of them dark like this. Something I heard Another sign, and tell me if this is is accurate, is you know it might there was a child that I think it was happening at their childcare, but what was happening is the children started to like pull their pants down in the grocery store, like just kind of random things like that. So I think would that be other sort of a little bit behavior that's a little bit off, and it's not necessarily sexual behavior, but it's just a bit strange. It might be an indication they're trying to express something. That's true, and I also think this. Again, the child won't say, but the child will show. So well done, Nat. The the other thing is this. Always as beautiful parents and grandparents out there, all caregivers, ask yourself this. Why would a child do that? That's what you have to ask yourself. Why is my child doing that? Or why is he suddenly doing that? And usually children don't know how to make stuff up, believe it or not. Uh, it's the adults around them that know to shut them down, but um, you, usually it's learned behavior. So what you're seeing is learned behavior, and that's what children do. Children do what we do, not what we say. So, Because what most parents would do, I imagine, in that scenario is they'd be like, pull your pants up. What are you doing? That's embarrassing. Yes, but we've got to step back a little and think, why, how, where's this come from, you know? And I think, too, I know you're saying this is a really dark topic, but can I say it's not? And the reason I'm saying that is because, look, 
Aren't we just providing information and knowledge and shining a light, as you say, onto this? Won't that help the beautiful children and adolescents out there who are experiencing this at the moment? So I'm very grateful to you. You are shining light on this, net. Thank you. Mm. You're the first, um, first radio station or medium in New Zealand that has decided to interview me. So thank you very much. It is absolutely my honor. I'm literally almost crying. This is this is such a huge issue. It's something I don't have a personal story, but when I joined doTERRA, which is essential oils, one of the main reasons is because of Operation Underground Railroad, rescuing children. And it, I feel like I was born to save children. Yeah. Well, help, help me to help. Operation Underground have reached out to me here uh, to ask if I would set something up here. So. Now, you said in New Zealand we're not really covering it. Well, we're changing that today. Reality Check Radio, we're making change. We're upping our brave. <clears throat> I pull myself together. No, this is great, Nat. You're obviously a very loving, compassionate person. And please, let's let's help our beautiful Tamariki Ratatangi. You know, we've got children today. New Zealand lead the world in this. We know. Um, help New Zealand release stats in October last year, six months ago. By the time up to one in three girls by the time they are 16 will have been, not might have been, not could have been, will have been sexually abused, one in three girls. By the time a boy is 16, one in three of them, by the, um, sorry, one in four to six boys will have been. And there's this misnomer that it's girls. No, it's not. I interview just as many um, males as females. It's everywhere. And I think if we, if you said to me, what do you want, Gloria? I just want us to normalize these conversations because we're saving lives. People don't realize the impacts of this if it's ignored or the child is called a liar. I was just over in Australia net presenting at the International Mental Health Conference on the silent endemic, the silence around this. No surprises, standing ovation, no surprises, the most impactful talk of the conference, no surprises that many, many people approach me later to say, mm -hmm. me as well, thank you for speaking. So I think what we must do is just provide hope and give some power back to our beautiful adult survivors out there we're a country of 5.5 million net we're not talking thousands of people we're talking over 1 million people in our mm. country are walking around with this trauma and shame and um in my organization i've set up a charity called handing the shame back don't you love it because when survivors speak they're handing the shame back um to try and support and resource those beautiful people. Anyway, I went off on a tangent. Brilliant. Well, no, it's amazing. I mean, imagine the relief. Imagine, I mean, you you know it. I, I can only imagine the burden of carrying that knowledge, those experiences in your body, you know, so they do present probably as physical, you know, physically as well as emotionally for all those years. And then to feel the shame and the guilt around that. And I, so, so for those of you that don't know, Gloria is the founder and CEO of Handing the Shame Back Foundation, a charity dedicated 
um, to the up to one in three adult survivors of child sexual abuse. If someone is an adult survivor, I would love to invite them to reach out to Gloria. She can support you, but also imagine the ripple effect and yes. the the healing, the healing that can come from being feeling like you can finally tell someone, number one, release that agony that you've had your whole life and then go on to use it like Gloria has for good for the people. Um, Gloria, I want to ask you, because I know you're having massive traction internationally, meaning people are requesting you come and speak at their events to hundreds, thousands of people. Yeah. Yet in New Zealand, we have this silence. I mean, what is going on? Why is there silence? What is the reluctance? And how can we shift that? Yeah, awesome questions. No pressure. <laughs> uh, so the um, the silence is, is threefold. For survivors, it's around the incredible shame we carry. It was only uh, three, four years ago that I could hold my head up, look anyone in the eye and say, this is my story. So that's number one. The shame we carry keeps us quiet, minimises us, uh, victimises us and keeps us wrong. And so we live in our shame and the trauma is uh, reflected in the mental health statistics, which I'll go into later. Um, the way we can start to do this is to just see our beautiful survivors out there as people who have had injury caused and through no fault of their own. If I showed you a, a photo of a five-year-old little boy with the front teeth missing, that child had no power. Why should he now as an adult be carrying shame? And I think what happens is that's for survivors. Our shame is so big we don't speak until we feel healed enough. The second thing that happens is beautiful people like yourself, Nat, who wish to expose this, find it really hard to know what to do with it. Survivor comes to you, says, hey, this happened to me. You then get, well, what do I do with that information? I feel really uncomfortable. I feel really bad. But how are the kids? <laughs> because people want to change the subject because they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And the third are the, what I call the abusers, the gatekeepers and the enablers. And this is who the silence benefits, by the way. So for every, if I'm telling you up to one and three in our beautiful country ha, are being abused or have been, your next question could be, goodness me, where are the abusers coming from? And so I think it suits them. The only group this suits in terms of absolute silence are the abusers. Now, the gatekeepers are the one who allow or disallow access and the enablers are the one who suspect it might be a partner, it might be a work colleague, it might be a, um, a someone who does bookings for these people. And we know in New Zealand we've had several high, highly placed males, uh, Sir Ron Briley for once, who was exposed, but his uh, administration team were doing the bookings in Thailand for the child sex trafficking that went on. So enablers have a responsibility as well, but perhaps they're too frightened. So does that answer your question about why the silence? It does, because, I mean, obviously there's a level of supply and demand, meaning so it's, there people are ready and willing to pay. It is big business, I do believe. How do we stop this? I mean, if it's been going on for hundreds 
of years. And there's a lot of people involved, meaning some people are just bystanders, you know, enablers who maybe they've been threatened. Hey, if you say something, I'm going to kill your family. Like there's that goes on. How do we change the dynamic? Well, we do what you're doing today. Beautiful, Natalie. You, we're exposing this. Should it, as I say, thank you deeply. The first person who actually said, please speak. Uh, our country's in dire trouble. We lead the world. Uh, if we don't start exposing, you'll notice two weeks ago on our Sunday show, um, beautiful Mary Amakamo did an expose on slavery, including sex trafficking, including child sex trafficking. New Zealand, it's a thing. It's happening. It's real. It's it's uh, it's kind of out there. And I think the more we can normalise these conversations, the more we can have these conversations, the more beautiful, good people like um, who perhaps aren't involved in any of it but see the concern, even if if they can start, you know, let, let's start some groups having discussions. What can we do to help? Um, so, yeah, just recently I launched Friday 16 June, a Global Awareness Day, and there were three parts to that. Um, and, and the first part was... Um, giving absolute araha and um, respect to our one and three across the world. So uh, we asked people on that day to switch out their logo for ours, and they did. Where people, the US, the UK, Ireland, uh, some of the islands, Africa, all parts of Australia, all over New Zealand, swap out their logos with ours for the day. And so what that meant was they were acknowledging our beautiful adult survivors who have lived in shame and fear most of their lives. The second initiative was we released a, a global hand signal uh, for our, our under-16s to use to indicate that they're not safe and being abused. Um, can you, I know this is audio only, can you verbally explain the hand signal to us? Okay, so... It's it's the hand standing straight up. It's then the thumb across the palm of the hand and then the hand closing. This was released in 2020 uh, by a group over in Northern America. So it's this net. So there's essentially three movements. Is that so? That's right. And it, we've tested it on children. As so a hand up, like you're saying hand hi, up, like a kind of like a policeman stop yep. sign. <laughs> and then put your thumb across your palm and close your fist. Okay. So this. And a child, we know, for instance, it was on uh, TikTok recently, beautiful young man went into a Wendy's, sat down, had a burger, sitting across a, a girl of about 11 and who thought he was a father. The father went to look at his phone. The girl started doing this. Mm. So he went, are you okay? Like mouthed it. And she went, no. Mm-hmm. And he went, for real. And she went, yes. Mm-hmm. So he went and rang the police, didn't do anything. Rang the police, said, I think we've got a traffic child here or abducted child here. Police said, keep them there. And he thought, well, how am I going to do that? And the cops said, go and grab someone near you. So he went to two other dudes were having a meeting or something, went over. He said, don't, don't make a scene. But that girl's in trouble. We need to rescue her. I'm going to get her. You get the guy. The police are on their way. Does that not send shivers down? It does, actually. 
And it, it really does because I feel it like works. once people they hear this interview and other things, maybe they go, I know you've got a YouTube channel, maybe they want to learn more. And then, and then they know what to look for. And then imagine it's not so much guardian of the, of the galaxy, but if we can actually all keep an eye out, you know, and we're aware, I mean, I don't know if we can stop it, but we can minimize, we can catch the signs early. Like you've explained some of the signs to us, not just the hand gesture, but the indications, like you mentioned earlier in the show, layering of clothing, um, random behavior, and even using that technique of drawing the boxes you know, is someone hurting you? Yes, no. If we can just do simple things like that, we can change the trajectory. I think we need to, and I think it all starts with talking about this. You know, Nat, I should be on talkback radio answering listener questions. You know, this should be a massive initiative in our country. May I share some stats about unresolved, this unresolved trauma, please? I would love you to. And just before you do that, you know, the response that I've received from a few people in my world, when I bring up things like this, is this, Nat, if that were true, it would be all over the news. Like literally I've received, and I'm like, no. So go on to your stats, but I just, we will get resistance. We will get people denying I think we it's time, Kiwis. New Zealand, it's blinking time to wake up. Let's do this. Thank you so much, because what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for a senior politician to have their child abused and then they suddenly decide it's important? Every child is important. Every teenager is important. There's too much access. We've got sex torsion happening now. We've got young people taking their lives. New Zealand, we ain't seen nothing yet. This online stuff that's going on for our young ones is scary. It's happening today. So we've got to wake up. Now, the reason partly for the silence, no conspiracy here, just being honest with you, I I was meant to go on uh, the AM show with Duncan Garner and Amanda Gillies, and uh, they read my book, blown away, wanted me on the show, kept getting blocked and stopped. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you why that might be or let you ponder that or let the audience ponder that. Well, so- just I'll just jump in. I I used to. So I I'm a my website is upyourbrave.com, but I'm yeah. actually a, a business and visibility coach. I used to go on the AM show. I've been on multiple times, breakfast mm. TV, AM mm. show, got clients on the project. That was part of what I did, like meaning at like so I got people visibility. I helped them to learn how to do a good interview, how to be a great guest. And, um, but yeah, mainstream media doesn't want to know about this kind of stuff. So needless to say, I don't go on those shows anymore. I'm not welcome. (laughs) No, but the point is they don't want to know about this stuff unless it's their child or grandchild we save. So I think there's got to be a way we can start to open the divide because um, this is happening and you could be forgiven for thinking that specific areas, lower socioeconomic areas across New Zealand. No, it's not. The as we know through people who have actually been exposed, they're usually high up across all levels of society. So there's a huge range. But look, here's something to know. One is that over 70% of PTSD sufferers are not Vietnam vets. They are people like me who have experienced some form of child sexual abuse. Let me show you the disparity. Vietnam vets get benefits, get paraded through the street, get 
acknowledged, honoured, thanked, applauded, and recognised for the rest of their lives. They were trained for combat. Let's go to uh, survivors of child sexual abuse. We weren't trained for combat. We are told really through the silence that we're not welcome here. Thank you. So we shut down. We're vilified. For some of us, we're called deluded. We're made out to be liars. We're told, but he or she is a wonderful person. You spot the difference yet, Nan? Mm-hmm. I do. That's, yeah. Over 90% of um, rehab facilities have this hiding within their clients. It's interesting. I I did an interview the other week about um, with a woman who'd written a book about, um, you know, um, alcoholism and the no BS guide to, you know, stopping drinking. Well, a lot of these numbing tactics are, and the drug problems we have in New Zealand, escapism, yeah, not always from, but I bet you a large percentage from, yep, yep child um, sexual abuse. Can you just explain for our listeners who think, well, I know about, I know domestic violence is a problem in New Zealand, but I haven't heard of child sexual abuse. Can you just explain the difference? And do we even account for child sexual abuse? I imagine we don't. Unfortunately, the smaller the shoe size, the less the funding. And we say we we care about our kids. My challenge is. Do we, though? Because where is the noise? This should be on billboards. It should be across our harbour bridge. Um, you know, our, our logo hand in the shame back is a heart with an arrow going back. I'll bring up an image and show you. But because we're handing the shame back. But the the fact is that we are not giving this what it needs. We're not protecting our children because no one's talking about it. And there's a little bit of lip service here and there. But I'm not making these numbers up. Go to Help Foundation and look. And so my question to you is, where's the noise? And your response is, yeah, but people said if it was true, there would be some noise. So my question back to you is, well, why isn't there? The silence is deafening. It truly is. Deafening. So If If you're listening to this and you have a question or you actually want to just message us anonymously and let us know that you, you know, you've experienced it yourself. You can get in touch with Gloria, but if you've got questions or you want us to read anything out on air, by the way, I do get people messaging me saying, please don't read this out, but I also, but I wanted to let you know. So I don't, I only read it out if people um, don't tell me not to. So you can text in 2057 or you can send an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Um, like I said, I know I started off saying this is a dark topic. Gloria is saying we're actually shining the light on it. It's been happening for ages. It's not something that people feel comfortable, obviously, talking about. But really, it is time for us to have these conversations. It really is. Gloria, so I'm going to go to the four questions that I ask all my guests. And then I, I'll love to um, invite you to add anything else at the end. Number one, what is one thing that you've um, done in the past year where you truly upped your brave? Um, I got on to global um, podcast forums, quite big ones, um, and talked about this. Um, I said earlier in the interview, it took me really until I wrote my memoir to be able to speak to this and hold my head up. Um, so I'd lost my whole family because I chose to expose this and tell the truth. Um, so I think that was that was big for me to actually be able to talk about it uh, from a healed 
perspective and look anyone in the eye and not carry the shame. That was huge. It is huge. And I'm just looking at you. I know my listeners can't see you, but we do sometimes take a photo. And it's, you know, just seeing you shining bright, looking so at peace and so Mm -hmm. empowered. Obviously, you've been through quite a journey to get to this point, but um, thank you for doing all the work you that you've done that you've done to this point and I feel like it's about to explode do you I hope so let's help the beautiful Kiwis out there just so you know Natalie by the way this charity is not funded <laughs> we're not fun- I just do this out of the goodness of my heart and try and sell a few books um because it's so big in me this passion to shine the light on this darkness through love and humility it's my purpose we're going to ask you of the bucket list question. What is one um, thing on your bucket list, which is something you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that possibly the Up Your Brave Reality Check radio community can help you to achieve? I would love to have a documentary made in New Zealand soil. I'm happy to use my life as part of it to expose all of this in our country. We've got to start saving our children. That's on my bucket list. You know, it's interesting because I think there are, you know, videos and I think there was a documentary recently released internationally on topics around this. And some people are going to watch that. And some people are like, I'm just, it's for them, it's just too scary. But I feel like the documentaries need to be done. The conversations need to be had. But some people, do you think if some people just won't be able to watch that, like it's just too confronting? Well, I think, okay, so then we come back to who's more important, the person who's can choose to watch or listen or the child that has gone through it. Mm. Right? But there's no comparison. Again, we find another reason to keep it hidden. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about mainstream media, New Zealand Live, um, choosing to create a documentary around this so that people can feel that our government and um, politicians are behind changing these stats. All right. So get in touch. That's that's what we do with the bucket list for. Get in touch if you feel like you want to be part of that. Maybe you want to anonymously share your story. Maybe you have some experience in the film industry. This is something that is that needs to be spoken about. For me, on my bucket list, you know, I have um, I want to create a healing center for kids. I want to help kids that have been through dramatic trauma to heal. And I know it's not my journey. Like I had a pretty sweet life until I moved to New Zealand at the age of 23. We had the earthquake. My son lost all his hair to alopecia. And then my marriage has been very tricky since COVID and all the things we disagree on. Those are really my life challenges just in the last 20 years. But I've always felt like I've actually had such a sweet life. Who am I not to? And I feel like I can help people. I'm not an expert in this area, but I want to shine the light and I want to help you create this documentary. And I want to help the kids to heal because, and the adults to heal. It's never too late. Right. So anyone you do know in media, I would be very grateful for an intro uh, because we, we need to start exposing. It's, you know, I'm so grateful for my life. I'm so lucky. I love who I am now. And it's taken decades, Nat. I can see it. So much was taken, and yet I'm here. And uh, we don't even need to go into it because I'm absolutely fine. I only use my story Mm. as a hook or Mm -hmm. an attraction because people say, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Well, this is why I'm doing it. 
So let's have our beautiful ones. Um, yeah. What is coming up for you, Gloria, in the next six months in terms of either either spreading the message or, or even, you know, your own, hopefully taking a holiday maybe at some point? And how can people connect with you again? Where can they find you? I know you've got a YouTube channel. Give us all the links. Okay. So um, I can put the links in our chat as well. But um, yeah, basically I'm GloriaMasters.com. So all my speaking and the books um, on Angel's Wings um, is on GloriaMasters.com and all versions. Um, it's also on Amazon and Flight Path to Healing is also GloriaMasters.com. Um, and in all versions, I'm writing the third book at the moment, just in my spare time, <laughs> no spare time. Um, but for the, I'm actually going to be doing a massive uh, presentation over on the Gold Coast on the 1st of September called The Power of Light. And I will be talking about just that and how we all have it within us. And and here's a little way. I've got a candle. I can hold that till you can find your own. So how please, many people will be in the audience for that one? About 400. Nice. Yeah. YouTube is your YouTube channel called Handing the Shame Back. Yep. All my social media platforms are handing the shame back. Okay, everyone. That's easy to find. Get in touch with Gloria um, if you want support. If you feel like you you're like, I don't, I have no proof at all, but it just something doesn't feel right with my child. I just want to. So you get in touch with Gloria. She's gonna point you in the right direction. There, she's got lots of resources and we're hopefully going to get this documentary underway. Um, Gloria, before we wrap things up, is there anything else you want to add for our audience today? Um, I think I should be doing a TED Talk. I know over in the States they're interested in me doing one. I have yet to find anyone in New Zealand. So for your beautiful audience listening, if you know anyone who's running TED Talks, this should be out there. It's time. It's just time, Nat. It's time. And uh, look, really, just one final thing to the beautiful survivors listening. Of course, there's going to be a few of you. Just love to you. Believe in yourself. You know the truth. I stand beside you. I see you and I believe you. Thank you so much, Gloria, for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you, everyone, for listening um, and staying with us. If you recently tuned in and you missed the start, you can definitely catch the replay, of course, on realitycheck.radio, and you can go to replays to listen back to the full interview. Um, and also definitely go and get in touch with Gloria if you need some support in this area. It's a massive issue. We're going to start hearing more about it. Thank you for getting the ball rolling. And I will also put all the links. If you go to Up Your Brave um, with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Facebook, I'm going to put, she's, Gloria sent me a whole bunch of links. So I'm going to share all of those in a post. You guys can check those out as well. Thank you so much, Gloria. You're welcome. Thank you. A huge thank you to Gloria for sharing that insight with us. And a huge thank you to you listeners for being open to hearing it. It's not easy. Um, it's not nice. But I think the way that Gloria shared it and um, the traction that she's having internationally, it shows that people do really care. And I think we are we are at the point where we're ready to face this issue and hopefully to turn it around. If you know somebody that needs help or you want to support the work that Gloria is doing, 
You can look her up, GloriaMasters.com. She recently did a video, um, with which is the handing the shame back hand signal, which she mentioned in the interview. And um, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Gloria in person. Yesterday, she met me at the beach, Mission Bay in Auckland, and we got to walk on the beach in person and connect in real life and just hear more of her story. And then, of course, I introduced her to the people in my networking club, and they just were on the edge of their seats listening to her. So people really do care and they want to make a difference. I actually filmed a little video of her demonstrating the hand signal. You can find that on um, Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Facebook and also um, Up Your Brave on Instagram. But she also has created a a proper video um, and that's on YouTube. And I will also put the link to her video on my page as well. In this interview, we talked about the power of truth. And we were aiming to leave people feeling enlightened, but uplifted in a way, even though it's a very tragic topic. But the question remains, why is there so much silence around this? And how can we turn that around? Just by speaking about it, I think we can get the ball rolling. I love the activity that she mentioned about about drawing the two boxes. So stop asking children what happened And instead say, is someone hurting you? And they can say, they can tick the box, yes or no. And then you can ask more questions from there. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can support Gloria's work by getting her book. And if you want to know more than we covered in the interview, you'll hear all about that in her book. Um, And you can get that GloriaMasters.com. Uh, We are at the point in the show where I sometimes do either a flashback or a sneak peek, and sometimes I do both. Well, next coming up, I've got a little flashback prepared for you. Um, And shout out to the lovely Emma, who helps me to put this show together um, behind the scenes. And of course, Dave and the rest of the people. So um, we've got a flashback here from one of our previous interview guests, the awesome Lionel Anderson. And in the full interview, we talked about, he talked about mentoring our youth and the impact of cell phones on our psyche. You can check out the full show, of course, on on realitycheck.radio slash replays. And you can just type in Lionel. That'll be the easiest way to find it. Um, Otherwise, you can go to shows and click on Up Your Brave. And so here's a little, here's a little sneak peek um, flashback from our interview during the Keeping Kids Safe shows that we did. Here it is. It's interesting just on that note at school, because I've got three kids at three different schools, and it's interesting to to handle it. Um, What I really like is when the schools don't let them be on their phone at lunchtime, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the kids find when they're allowed to be on their phone at lunchtime, everyone's just head down on the phone. And it's very awkward with socializing. And unless you're off in the field playing rugby, people are just sitting in circles on their phone. And so Mm -hmm. I think if we can encourage the schools, you know, to, yep, they hand their phone in when they arrive and then they get it at the end of the day. But at lunchtime, they just, just let them be kids. Well, it has changed their behavior. So, I mean, we could, at the very least, it's a device that they have access to the universe, literally, but it actually changes their behavior because they now know that they can be critiqued for anything at any time. Which means they are now more likely to not do a lot more as opposed to my generation. Unless you saw it happen, it didn't happen, right? But when you're in a school setting, they can't play rugby, they can't play netball, they can't drop a pencil, they can't 
um, eat their lunch without potentially being either recorded or seen and commented on online. We just didn't have that kind of pressure or stress. And because of that, what you get is that you get children that are more withdrawn, they're, they're more, uh, they're less likely to do things that are either spontaneous or fun or risky because they're thinking this could turn up online in any country in the world, especially if they get it wrong. So I find they don't take, they don't tend to take a lot of risks, which for me drives me crazy as a facilitator because I want them to take risks. I want them to scream to the top of their lungs. I don't, I don't care what they look like. I just don't care, but I want them to know what that feels like, for example. And they've got this mentality that the whole world is watching them. So they do become more withdrawn and phones have been around for a while now. So you've, Kids that are at college now have had them their whole lives, effectively. They've had this phone culture their whole lives. So a 17, 18-year-old in their last year of college is, is, is what, paranoid, basically, because they know that everyone has a device and anyone in the world, not just their friends, can comment on anything. So they get rather uptight about things that they probably don't need to. So it's not just the device and, and what they can have access to, it's actually how it's changing their behaviour, which is something I try to um, crack, I guess. Yeah. I think there's such good points there because when I think of phones, I think of time, like the amount on the phone, the EMFs, which is electromagnetic frequencies, mm. as well as access to content that we probably don't want them to see. But on top of that, what you, the most important thing, well, all, they're all important, is that constant surveillance, right? Or constant like threat to their privacy. And that just is something that probably just eats away at them subconsciously. It's full on. And I guess we're not really, we won't know the ramifications. Um. Thank you so much to Lionel. And now I'm going to take you to a sneak peek. So a sneak peek is where I get a chance to share with you a few minutes um, audio clip from an upcoming interview. And I'm so fortunate, honestly, to have so many incredible people that I get to chat with. I mean, for me, it's called an interview. It's really just, you know, a, like a beautiful discussion. I get to shine the light on people, but draw out their wisdom and share it with you. And I learn so much every time I talk to somebody. So the one that I've chosen for you is a longtime friend of mine, fellow speaker, fellow author. Um, she's amazing. She's worked in the space of parenting, and specifically in the teaching and education space, it's Karen Tui Boys from Spectrum Education. And she's talking about the school system and how it's broken. Um, the school system is broken and how to fix it, she says. And she, what she's done is she's navigated towards homeschooling. And she's basically created a school, an online school, where teachers that were mandated or disenchanted for whatever reason, but still want to teach, can teach in a different way, especially for um, kids that the regular school system just isn't working for. So here's a little, here's a little sneak peek of our upcoming interview with myself and Karen Tui Boys. Well, congratulations on knowing your purpose. I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, some people don't think about it. Some people think about it a lot. And the fact that you knew your path and you also had the courage to step out of what was, you're like, this doesn't feel like I'm I'm having enough impact. And so you were able to amplify, as I like to say, amplify your impact by helping 
the teachers and empowering them and the principals. That's amazing. Um, but obviously in the last three years, how have, so how have things changed from your perspective? I know you've been out of the actual teaching scene for a while, but what have you noticed in the last three years in terms of the education system and schooling? Um, well, uh, in the last three years, uh, it's been challenging. It's been tough. And what uh, really piqued my interest around learning was that uh, there were four types of learners uh, that we discovered during uh, lockdowns because, of course, everybody had to transfer to uh online teaching. Now, I always smile when uh, teachers went, I just don't know how to engage them online. And I went, that's because you can't engage them offline. <laughs> um, so, you know, think about uh, some of the teachers you had, they weren't inspiring in person, so they can't be inspiring uh, uh, online. But the four types of students that I've noticed in the last four years, there were the ones that sorry, last three years during lockdown, the ones that teachers thought would engage and did engage, the ones that teachers thought would engage but didn't engage, the ones that they thought wouldn't engage and didn't engage, and then the ones that I'm really interested in is the ones that they didn't think would engage but did. Now, these children really fascinate me because they weren't doing well in a school system uh, for many different reasons, yet suddenly uh, they went did really well uh, from home and uh, just, uh, I guess, um, surprised many, many teachers that these kids did really well. But here's the problem. They've gone back into the school system. So they've gone back into the system that wasn't working for them. And uh, there's a huge amount of students that are still in that school system that it still isn't working for. So to answer your question, what's changed for me in the last three years is just before COVID hit, in fact, in January, we had already decided to transition our business online. So uh, we had been running face-to-face -face conferences uh, in New Zealand and Australia for teachers and parents and students, and we decided uh, to be able to transition them online in January. So when COVID hit, we were already ready to be online. So plus I'd had the experience in 19, no, not 19, 2016 uh, of working in a school system in New Zealand that is completely online. So I uh, had all that knowledge and was able to transfer that pivot, pirouette was the words, wasn't it, uh, very quickly. However, um, what I also saw in uh, late 2021 was when the mandates came in, I saw a lot of teachers choosing uh, not to uh, go down the path that they were um, being asked to go down. And I realized there were lots of parents who also didn't want their children in the school system. So what I did at that point in time was I went, I held a public meeting and I went, how can we... Uh, link the mandated teachers with uh, parents who don't want their students in the school system. And so we started our own online school. I love that. I love that you're a match matchmaker like I am. You're like, how can we link these people that have a need with these people that have a skill yeah. and a service to offer? Um, that's so great. And how? what was the response? Uh, huge. Absolutely huge. And uh, there were several online schools that uh, started at the same time. And uh, there's only a couple of us still going. And 
Parents are just delighted. Kids are delighted. We are having incredible results. Uh, And for me, it's been an amazing affirmation of what I've been teaching in the last 29 years all around the world Uh, as a keynote speaker, being able to put it into practice and actually seeing it in action has been incredible. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week on another show, the Up Your Brave show. And I would love to know from you, you know, if you were to truly up your brave, what would you do? What would you not do? (laughs) What would you lovingly let go of or maybe courageously create in your life? I'm keen to hear. I'm sure some of our listeners might be as well. Um, You can send a text to 057 and, and sorry, it's, you can send a text to 2057 or you can email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Also, if you have something on your bucket list and you'd love to share it with us because maybe we can help you um, send that in as well, Um, we would love to hear. Um, As always, I have um, amazing people that also um, are great at helping people to up their brave. And I've got a a list. I've got a little um, list of amazing people that I recommend. If you want to check that out, you can go to upyourbrave.com slash recommended. And also on my website, for those of you keen to explore human design specifically for your relationship, which is basically how can you understand each other better, judge each other less, and love each other more. I'm going to be running a workshop online on Zoom next week on the 27th of June. So you can check that out at upyourbrave.com as well. And I might see you next week. Uh, But you'll definitely hear me next week. And on back on the Up Your Brave show, where we've got another series of amazing guests lined up for you. Thank you so much for listening. Have an incredible week. And remember to up your brave. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR Reality Check Radio.